Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. How fun was Christmas as a kid? I mean, that's even an expression, right? Happier than a kid on Christmas or whatever. But man, once you become an adult, those responsibilities just start piling up. You got to start worrying about time off and how much time you're going to work and when the kids are in school and when they're out of school and how we're traveling here and what hotel we're staying at and do we need a flight and it gets expensive. And then you've got all the extra added stress of, oh, I got to hang this light and I got to put up this tree and then we got to wrap the presents. But most importantly, the financial stress of we got to buy all of these presents. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Hurry to save with Conrad.com. We want to make sure that you hit 2022 the way you planned on ahead of the game. Don't go overspend and kick the can down the road and make it one of your new year's resolutions next year where you say, well, I guess this year I'm going to try to get out of debt and save money. Do it right now. All the experts are predicting that interest rates are going to rise next year. Don't take my word for it. Throw it in your Google machine, but here's what's happened in the last two years. All of a sudden your house is probably worth more than ever. Why not use some of your newfound equity to get the best interest rate you've ever had while we've still got them. Get rid of your PMI. That in and of itself might save you two or 300 bucks. And at the same time, get rid of all your credit card debt. Just like that. If you can hear my voice and you're in a 30 year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, if you've got a car loan, you owe it to yourself to just get a quick quote right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and how's this for starters? Your single biggest bill, you know, your house payment, you won't have to make that in December or January. You're done until February 1st. You get a two month break from your single biggest bill right here during the holidays. That's going to get you the cash you need to not put Christmas on a credit card. And that credit card debt, it'll be gone forever thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. Go read some of our five star reviews all for yourself. Type this into your browser right now C O N R A D reviews.com conradreviews.com see what our actual customers are saying about the process and their experience it's almost five stars across the board and then hurry to savewithconrad.com get yourself a quick quote find out how much money you can save for free we're routinely helping our podcast listeners save five six seven even eight hundred bucks a month heck the other day we helped a guy save more than eleven hundred dollars a month i want to be clear he didn't save one thousand one hundred dollars one time He's saving it this month, next month, the month after that, all because he went to save with Conrad.com and you can do it too. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some money, we won't waste your time. But right here during the holidays, what are you waiting for? Make this the best Christmas ever. Let's be like kids on Christmas and not have the financial stress of worrying about what are we going to do? You're going to get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments than you ever thought possible because you went to savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender at savewithconrad.com.
Give the ultimate gift to the wrestling fan in your life this holiday season. You've asked for it, and I can't believe this is real, but now you can give the gift of ad-free shows. Head over to adfreegift.com now to purchase an ad-free show subscription for a friend or loved one. Simply click on gift a subscription up at the top and choose a plan. Plug in their email address, and just like that, your gift is on its way to their inbox. In my opinion, you simply will not find a better value in wrestling this holiday season early ad free access to all seven of my podcasts plus video starting at just $9 a month. We've also got tons of exclusive bonus content on top of it for just 29 bucks. So what are you waiting for? Get over with that special someone in your life by giving the gift of ad free shows, visit adfreegift.com right now to get started. That's adfreegift.com. Your one-stop shop for the wrestling fan in your life. This holiday season is adfreegift.com. 2022 is upon us, and Conrad Thompson's team is hitting the road Royal Rumble weekend. Join us at the historic South Broadway Athletic Club in St. Louis Saturday, January 29th for our first ever Hall of Fame Super Show. As my world's Jeff Jarrett and 83 Weeks Eric Bischoff bring you stories you won't hear anywhere else. Tickets for the Hall of Fame Super Show start at $39.99, and if you really want to get granular, you can purchase a VIP pass for an exclusive meet and greet, merch, and much more. For full event information, head over to ericandjefflive.com or jeffandericlive.com. Get even more from the hottest new podcast going, My World, with Jeff Jarrett over at adfreeshows.com. Let me get granular here for a minute, folks. Not only can you get the entire My World episode library with zero ads, new episodes come your way each week early, ad-free, and on video starting at just 9 bucks a month. We've also got tons of exclusive My World bonus content waiting for you, plus unique interactive experiences with your old pal, Double J. You get to jump on and ask Jeff questions, and if you joined us in Chicago this year for Top Guy Weekend, you got to hang out the entire weekend. Just recently, we sat down with Robbie the Highlander to clear the air on what really happened that night at the TNA taping in Orlando. We also had Jeff join fellow WWE Hall of Famer and ad-free partner Eric Bischoff to watch Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson's very first match and even talked with Tony Falk about breaking into the wrestling business. And how about this? There's only one place to get all this exclusive content and experiences, and that's by strutting over to adfreeshows.com right now where you get my world and all of my podcasts early and ad free on video for as low as $9 a month. That's just 30 cents an episode, 100% the best value in all of wrestling. Strut on over to adfreeshows.com right now to sign up. Flat nut. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to my world. And of course we couldn't do it without the WWE hall of famer himself, double J Jeff Jarrett, Jeff, how are you, man? Oh, Conrad Thompson. Yeah, we could do this episode without double J. I think, well, let me say this. We're going to talk about my world in it, but man, there is a lot of stuff to dive into it. I don't want to get too far, but, uh, daddy buys Dallas. We probably need a little Jerry Jarrett, probably a little Eric Embry, a little David Manning. Uh, Skandar Akmar and Bronco, Bronco Lubitsch, uh, if they were with us. Uh, anyway, this is a fascinating story, but again, we won't get too far ahead. How you doing, pal? We got football season in full swing. Um, what, are you, what, are, what, are, what are you talking about, Jeff? We're, we're a handful of days away from Christmas. Can we talk about Christmas? Oh, here we go. Ho, ho, ho. You want to talk about Christmas? I do. I want to hear, do you have any good Christmas wrestling stories? You know, 
maybe not our generation. Like I know you're, you're old enough to be our dad, but, uh, <laughs> Oh, here we go. Yeah. No, I'm just saying like, realistically, once upon a time, Christmas day was maybe the number two biggest day of the year in the, in the old territory days of wrestling. Do you have a, as a young fan, do you have a favorite Christmas wrestling story? Well, dial right into picture money. Picture money was always really good. It was the kickoff. It depended on where it fell that, you know, we wrestled on Christmas day and, and in a perfect world, Christmas was on a Thursday or a Saturday because that's my hometown in Nashville, but it's Christmas fell on Tuesday. That meant, okay, we got to jump in the car around 12 or one o'clock to, to make the Louisville show or Evansville, but it was always the kickoff of a, uh, highly profitable week. I mean, the WWE does it right now. They try to run the garden right around Christmas and then run, you know, obviously we're all smacked down. They run, um, two shows a night, um, Toronto and Montreal, I think the last couple of years and just big houses. They run LA during this week, big markets. Uh, it, there is the entertainment, uh, dollar is ready to be spent. Everybody saved, uh, or tried to save up for Christmas. They bought the presents. They've been around and candidly, uh, holidays are very stressful for a lot of folks. Uh, I'm sure you can relate to that. Oh yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, I, I guess, um, oh man, a Christmas story. It was always a, uh, wasn't always storyline driven Conrad. It was the big event, a big battle role, uh, lots of guys on the card. Uh, but it was always sort of fun going in dressing rooms, uh, on Christmas day that, you know, the, the, uh, most of the world is with their biological family, I guess. And there's something about getting with your work family or your wrestling family on a Christmas day and you laugh and cut up and come to the event and go out and the people are live and festive and good energy and good emotion. So I always actually enjoyed it. Um, and it was something that I grew up as a kid. It's sort of what happened on Thanksgiving and Christmas. You went to work in the afternoon. You woke up, had Christmas, had a big Christmas breakfast. And then you, uh, the show was going to be coming up. As a kid, did you hop in the car with dad and make some of those Christmas day towns? I did. You know, that's, it, it probably didn't go on the road to a Memphis, Louisville or Evansville. But if it was Nashville, yes. I was there and, um, always the day after Christmas, but see, I played basketball in, in high school. So I was, there's a tournament nearby. I'm sure that's it. Yeah. I was doubt into that, but, uh, always, and you know, um, a, as I got in and started wearing my promoter cap, those early conversations at TNA and I'm like, no, 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 we need to run Christmas week and, um, trifecta. Uh, or Panda or some of the folks that were, um, I'll say in the marketing department that were just new to the entertainment industry. They're like, are people going to buy tickets? And I'm like, watch, you'll be surprised. We don't want to run before Christmas in December, but we definitely will afterwards. Um, that was always cool. And down in Orlando, the, the universal, uh, studios, they always had their Christmas parades daily. And when we were doing the tapings backstage is where they would come and prep. And they had the big two or three other studios where they were doing hair and makeup and costuming. That was always fascinating. The Grinch and all that. So lots of fun wrestling behind the scenes stories through the years. Um, pretty cool though. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a different, it's a different set of, uh, lenses looking at, uh, Christmas, uh, through the, through the wrestling lens, so to speak. 
how difficult was holiday travel? You know, you're working with Vince or you're working with WCW and now there's all the airplane travel, you know, by car kind of is what it is. You can expect, you know, the roads, there's going to be more traffic. It's going to take a little longer, but occasionally you had to run into some really frustrating air travel. I, I just, I think of wrestlers every time we watch that Thanksgiving movie planes, trains, and automobiles, because there had to be so many of those moments over the years, right? Well, it is. Um, and if you've ever rented a car on Christmas day, a lot of folks, uh, behind that counter, they're not exactly, um, tickled to be it, there. <laughs> you just say mildly those kind of things and at the hotel, but you know, there's some people that you can walk in the door and know, okay, they're going to make the best of it. They're happy to be here. They're enjoying work. And there's other that are like, this is the last place on earth they want to be. But, um, checking in and out of hotels, uh, the week after Christmas, um, it, it, it's just something about this time of year. It really is between Christmas and new year's. I remember, uh, Williams point, Pennsylvania, me, Marty Janetti, and a few others spent new year's Eve. We did a show. This is 94, 93 or four in Pennsylvania. I mean, this is when WWF, um, I don't want to get too embellishing here on the rest of the stories, but we ran, it didn't matter. That's when we did 10 days on three days off, four days on three days off. And it was like clockwork and the, the loop fell that, okay. Um, I spent Thanksgiving one time in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with Kevin Nash at the holiday Inn, Uh, and we had Turkey dinner there. It's just, that was that grind. Uh, so we, where were we at Christmas this year? But th- th- there were always good houses that th- they made, made a lot of money, even from the picture day, uh, loop, uh, back in those days up to the WWF loops. Those were good payoffs and big houses and big arenas. Well, we hope you guys have a great Christmas. I can't believe, uh, that it's finally here. I mean, it feels like, uh, 2021 as slow as it may have been. 2021 was really fast for me, Jeff. How about you? Wow. Got a little time for reluction, Connie. Um, I just continue to give you a Christmas gift week in, week out, being here with you, Donna. Every, every single week with you is a gift, <laughs> and it's a gift that keeps on giving. Oh, the Four Horsemen, the Bullet Club, NWO. I, we could just go on and on. The gifts I continue. I throw you softball after softball after softball. Uh, but no, um, man, you know, you you know, know the you... best gift you've given me lately though, I, I made a trek up to uh, Hendersonville with the wife a few weeks ago and you said, Connie, let's go to breakfast. <laughs> and you took me to a great breakfast spot and I knew you would, but I, I kind of assumed at first it was a rib. What was the name of the restaurant you took me to for breakfast in Hendersonville, Tennessee? Conrad, we are in the South. It's true. And, um, at one time, Sumner County was very rural, but now it's, it's a huge bedroom community. It's like, it's, it's just a suburb of Nashville connected to Nashville, but, uh, nice little local spot called you ready folks. Conrad, if y'all can see the video version, he's already smiling. Cause he's like, we pull into this restaurant and we're talking and chatting like we always do and all this. And he did a double take, but he waited till we got out of the car. And we got right up under that sign and Conrad goes, you weren't kidding. The name of this place, it really is the red rooster. Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. 
Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. We had breakfast at the red rooster cafe in Hendersonville. And I just assumed that was some other business. Like, I don't know. They monogram children's clothing or something. I don't know. But then when we really went in, I'm waiting on you to like crack a smile. Like, oh, this is a joke. This is a rib, but no, it was damn good. So I was wrong. I stand corrected. Delicious, right? Best omelet I've ever had. How about that? How about, and you, it won't be your last time there. I guarantee you that. No, next time I'm up, I'm going to hit it up. But today we're talking about way back when, and you and I joked before we clicked record, we, uh, we know somebody who was obsessed. I don't know that they want me to drop their name, but they are obsessed with this story in this era. Of course, we're talking about the supposed merger, if you will, between world-class and Memphis. And when Jerry Jarrett got involved in Dallas and the Von Eric business. And the result is, as you and I are talking 77 pages of research, the ribs on me now, <laughs> that is probably better suited for Mr. Jarrett, the other Mr. Jarrett, That's right. uh, the- the Mr. Jarrett. And, and, and so you and I said, you know what, we're going to tell this story from your perspective to the best of our abilities. But I think this story, especially given the circumstances of just life, we should probably revisit this with maybe a world-class representative and maybe Mm -hmm. Mr. Jarrett and me and you, and let's just have a conversation. And I think we should try to make that happen sometime, maybe in the first quarter of next year, just everybody get together. Maybe hell, maybe at the Red Rooster, and let's uh, do it. Shut up, cameras, roll tape. We we can go from breakfast session to lunch session. There's so much to talk about here. Before we jump into the meat of the story, we've got a lot of listeners to this program, Jeff, who really just grew up on Hulk Hogan and the glory days of of the late '80s and the WWF. So they're familiar with you from the Attitude Era. They're familiar with you from WCW. They're familiar with you from. TNA, of course, but when you talk about the old territory days there, there, we do have a contingent of Memphis listeners, but today we're going to be talking about world-class and I don't know that a lot of people really understand just how big the world-class business was, just how innovative Fritz had been, maybe how over the Von Eriks were. Can you just give some context to the Hmm. reputation that territory had? Ooh, let me think where to start. I'll tell you what, we'll start right into my world because last week's episode of super clash. And I thought, you know, maybe we should have done super clash after this episode, but in reality, super clash, uh, three that we went into uh, granular detail on last week, it really crystallized to me in a lot of ways that was December of 1988. And it was I don't even want to call it a Hail Mary because that's like actually uh, a Hail Mary is in the end zone, like you're going to score, but it was a bomb to try to at least get a little offense going. But it was the last big collaborative event of the territory days. And it was WCCW, which we're going to discuss today, uh, CWA, which is my family's promotion, and AWA, Vern Gagne's promotion. And those three, and when, um, the uh, My World social media team put together this collage, and I don't know if you saw it, Conrad, but there were a 
lot of legends, Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers on that card. Michael Hayes, Rikishi. I mean, I, I, I don't want to go through all of them here, but but it was, you know, uh, a, a lot. But the headline of the card at uh, Super Clash was Lawler, who um, arguably one of the, the – at the very top of the territory megastars, you got to put Dusty in there. Um, I think Bruno, uh, is obviously in there, but you know, the, the Andre was never in a place, uh, for, you know, he was in and out. New York was his home base, but he traveled all over the world. Uh, but as far as territory stars, um, Lawler and and the Von Erich family, Fritz came in as a talent years and years and years ago. And then he became the owner and the promoter and, um, to put it in context, you know, we ran Mid-South Coliseum, 12,000 seats, Louisville, six, 7,000 seats, you know, Vern ran St. Paul and different deal, you know, big, big size arenas, Sportatorium, the home base of, of tapings of WCW, I mean, WCCW, I'm going to get confused here, but, um, it was 3,500, 4,000 seats, but the Metroplex Dallas, when I refer to Metroplex on this episode, that means the Dallas Fort Worth area, the complete area. Um, but you know, the, I think the best example of how big WCCW was is a, to my knowledge, they're the first territory that had international syndication. Their product was seen all over the world and B they ran Texas stadium where the Cowboys played and they built it around arguably the greatest uh, touring champion in history, Ric Flair, but, a, but, but the baby face local challenger was Kerry Von Eric. Um, one of five brothers. Uh, and, and so talk about a family business in, in so many ways, to, but uh, WCCW was a mega territory with, Lots of money. Paul Bash, uh, basically down in Houston and uh, Blanchard in San Antonio, Tully's father. Uh, but Dallas and that whole area, some into Oklahoma, some in Louisiana, but um, their business was so good. Uh, Michael Hayes often tells the story when you get him talking about it, they didn't have to get a hotel. They could leave their home and drive to town and be back because that's how over the territory was and how red hot it was. But anyway, the Dallas territory, um, man, Conrad, I, I, I don't know really where to take it. I'm probably going to say that a couple of times during this podcast, because I literally could go on and get a little bit more granular and a little bit more granular and a little bit more. I'll stop there and let you, uh, tee up another question. Well, I just wanted people to understand that, you know, this Von Eric story often gets told in a sad tone and don't get me wrong. I understand the tragedy that befell the family, but boy, there was a whole bunch of success in front of that tragedy. And that's what I'm trying to convey. Uh, you know, th- they were really innovative with their, uh, music packages and, and boy, there's a guy behind the scenes there that did a lot of the video stuff for them that went on to do a lot of other stuff. And you know, that fellow pretty well, right? <laughs> You think that, and that's why, you know, um, and I didn't even really get the answer out that you just asked. So, uh, prior to cable television territory folks for you, new listeners, basically North America. So so obviously that includes Canada. So the U S and Canada was divided up into essentially 22 regions across the country. Um, and you would think, oh, Texas is just one region. Well, not really. 
Houston had their promotion, San Antonio had their promotion, and Dallas had their promotion. But Fritz built his business uh, based out of Dallas, um, and he was a, I'll call it a forerunner, in building the modern-day big production. Uh, the Sportatorium, like I said, only seated 3,500, but it looked like it looked really good on TV. Um, it had uh, basically in the round, but but not a 360. Uh, what would that be? I think, you know, about a 300. Uh, there, there wasn't people uh, on, on one side. But anyway, a guy by the name of Keith Mitchell, a young Texan, uh, started running camera for Fritz. And uh, for the folks that don't know Keith, Keith is uh, quick, down and dirty. He ran television production for WCCW. Then he went to uh, a little bitty organization over in Atlanta called <laughs> World Championship Wrestling, the Turner Group. So, yes, WCW and every Nitro and every Thunder, essentially, Keith was uh, with a team, but but he he was the producer uh, of, of Nitros and Thunders and WCW pay-per-views. Uh, WCW got balled out. Vince had his crew of Kevin Dunn, and so Keith, uh, for a hiccup, was looking at different things. He got a call from his old buddy, Jeff Jarrett, and Keith did every Wednesday night pay-per-view, um, all of Impact, all of Explosion, all the pay-per-views, and Keith worked for uh, Impact until he got a call from a guy named Tony Khan, and Keith uh Respect the hell out of him. Love that man. Love his family. Uh, but he left the right way at Impact and went over, and he has been producer at AEW uh, from day one. So it's, it all started in Fritz's territory. Isn't that crazy? World class, world championship wrestling, TNA, AEW. Keith Mitchell has a story and a half. Oh, brother. Whoa, does he ever. Um, but, you know, this era, me and Keith, uh, especially obviously during the TNA days, you know, I would learn things about, no, you don't, because I was so young. I, I had no real context of the business going on, but Keith was involved with the Max Andrews and the Bob Van Gersey and, and Fritz, of course, and you name it, the Booker, uh, that David Manning, Ken Mantell, Texas stadium shows, international syndication. So Keith learned a boatload coming up through this time, but WCCW, the Dallas territory was, and yes, uh, Vince uh, McMahon took over a huge business from, from his father and gorilla monsoon and, and others. But, but, uh, you know, the original USA time slot was out of Ken, uh, out of Blanchard and San Antonio, a lot of early formative things that still have remnants today started out in Texas. I want to mention, um, the era we're about to talk about, uh, and I guess our story starts really on Thanksgiving, uh, 1987. Wow. Buddy, there's a whole lot of businesses, the territory business. It's been turned upside down. Vince McMahon's national expansion. WrestleMania was, was the first major blow, I guess, but buddy WrestleMania three changed the game. And Hulkamania and the hysteria surrounding WrestleMania and the world wrestling federation was at an all time high. So by late 87, you know, Bill Watts is out. He sold to Jim Crockett, Jim Crockett's trying to make it work, but he's hemorrhaging cash. And now on Thanksgiving night, as the story goes, 
And this is from uh, skip Hollinsworth, the, the fall of the house of Von Eric. He says, I've decided to get out and retire. Kevin and Carrie will still keep wrestling, but someone else is going to take over. I'm just tired. I've got to get out of the business. So of course the story here is the business is on its ass. And that's the story. As you look around almost every territory with the exception of Vince McMahon's WWF, if Vince's goal was to take on the world by and large, he's won by late 87. Has he not? And again, I, I, as I did all this research and shout out to the researcher, because as I went through this and I texted you a couple of times yesterday, and I started to text you about five other times. And I'm like, why am I going to bug him? <laughs> He's got the same notes or power part of the notes. It was a little bit overwhelming because here's the, uh, analogy that popped in my brain a couple of times yesterday. I started Conrad and I've been around the business as a whole life, but I started in April of 86 Yeah, is the fall of 87. So I am a year and a half in of, of, of the business. It's like a sophomore in college going into the bar exam as far as comprehension of now, wait a minute. Hey man, in 85, dad, we were selling out in 84 and wait a minute. Yeah. I'm going to Japan and just all the different moving parts, but you hear about wait, Bob Geigel and in Kansas, they're, they're, they're only running like how many shows a month now? Like they were rolling up the carpet. Florida was rolling in the carpet, but, but, wait, Fritz is going to step aside. And you know, the, the first real chatter I heard out of that was like, wait, I understand guys, no showing, but Kevin carry on the territory. They're, they're part owners of it. So, so, so wait. And then, you know, you just said the WrestleMania effect. Um, it was, it was, you know, at that time, the NWA NWA, and it's funny in the notes, uh, I had to like, make sure that I understood because nowadays when I think NWA, I think Billy Corgan and his group, their, yeah. their group, but the NWA in Meltzer and Matt watch, and you'll clarify a couple of this, the NWA back in those days, that meant Jim Crockett promotions. And so some of the notes and going into it and really diving into it, um, it just was real, a very crystallization that I knew Tennessee was down and like way down comparatively speaking from the prior couple of years before that. And then you hear Dallas is way down and then Charlotte and the Crockett's are having a tough time and they're great American bashes, you know, that summer, I think maybe Conrad, we can pull that. Uh, Cause I just wanted to pull some numbers yesterday, but man, terrible business in the territory was absolutely terrible. And people were losing their local TVs left and right. And most of the time when they lost the TV, Vince was getting it. That was a real changing of the guard. And your dad was experiencing the dip as well. Oh, from a, a live event perspective. Cause again, TV was not like it is today. And Hey, Fox and Comcast and, and, and Warner media, we're going to write you these big fat checks and Hey man, you're on prime time. And well, Tuesday well, not night. only that, I mean, let's just be clear here. A lot of the area your dad's territory was in was socioeconomically depressed and, and a, not a, yeah. And, and a lot of it was rural. So w- when you're rural, you gotta, you, unless you had one of them satellite dishes, the size of a minivan, 
you got like three or four channels. I mean, at best. Yeah. It was on Saturday mornings. The business model was simple. Get on TV on Saturday mornings free. You don't pay to get on every now and then you had to pay maybe like a hundred dollars or a small fee, but get on TV on Saturday morning, but you got to go make your money at the live events. Yes. You, it's your weekly episodic. That was the business model. Memphis was the only top 50 market. I think top 50. I think they were uh, early, th- you know, 30, 33, 34, 35 back in those days, Nashville, Louisville and Evansville. I don't even think they, they weren't anywhere close to. And then those were our quote unquote, big towns. Evansville small. I mean, you know, it just go just really, really small areas, but very lucrative prior to cable television, cable television. And that's sort of the flag in the ground that our current listeners, unless you've uh, older and Conrad, it's really hard to wrap your head around because we're in the streaming world now, but prior to cable television, it's what came on those four or five channels every Saturday morning. If it's not cartoons, Oh, it's wrestling and I'm going to watch it and I'm not going to miss it. And that's where the success that my father and Lawler had with Memphis TV and bicycling the tape around, it, it still is staggering. The consistent ratings, even in these days that we're going to talk about, were good. It just shows you sort of the business they built, but uh, creating live event revenue when people go, oh, I'm going to watch once a, you know, once a quarter WrestleMania or whatever. I mean, yes, back to your comment, WrestleMania 3 at the Pontiac Silverdome change the perception of the business forever from media buyers, from television buyer, from everything. they realized, wait a minute, this is a much bigger deal than we thought. This is worth a look. And they didn't mean wrestling. They meant WWF and WWF became the brand from that point forward. Uh, but prior to that, you know, as we were talking about the territory days, television really was like your infomercial for the live events. We're going to do that show for free for you and nobody's going to get paid, but hopefully we can pique your interest enough that you'll come out to the town tonight and pay your $10 or what have you. And we'll sell enough tickets and, and we're off and running. Now you mentioned them earlier, the rumor and innuendo was world-class had really taken a big dip because there were some issues with, with arrests and drugs and death and a lot of negativity, but just from a delivering on what you promise standpoint, a consumer confidence standpoint, there had been a reputation brewing that the Von Ericks were all maybe less than reliable when it came to showing up for some of these shows they'd been promoted on. Fair to say? Very fair to say. And and that is again my education in the industry that um you know, my father and gosh, let me back up. My grandmother and Buddy Wayne was a spot show promoter, and my grandfather was a spot show promoter. Like, we used to have window cards and posters, and they always wanted the full card to advertise six weeks, four to six weeks out. They hated for the opening match to be a no-show or a substitution. Main events, it, it's like taboo. Uh, now today, it's it's almost common in so many ways, card subject to change, card subject to change, all, all that kind of stuff. I mean, when we go to St. Louis, it, it will be Jeff and Eric live.com and, and Jeff and Eric are going to be there. But, but and I'm saying that in, in just the, in that substitutions back in the day, never, ever, you just did not do it. But Kevin and Carrie and Mike and David, it was 
as if, I mean, even the big shows, the TV t- tapings and, and, you know, the drive, getting in your car, drive 20 minutes to the arena at Sportatorium, they were missing those left and right. And, and, and that was, I heard that over and over and over starting around this time. Von Erichs don't make shows. Von Erichs don't make shows, which was just like, what? And I just remember the negative talk that I would hear from anybody who spoke of that, that, that their business model. You know, there's a, there's an old saying in wrestling. Um, well, and that's before they killed the town. How might one kill a town, Jeff? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, how might one kill a town? Advertise Conrad Thompson is one. Aver- no. <laughs> Conrad. I'm just you gave a softball there. Okay. Uh killing towns though are substitutions. The like killing the town back in the day were at the very top is advertise the talent, not show. The other deal is have a really phony match. Uh the other deal would would be um a bunch of non finishes. So you, you you don't give the people something to bite into. Um that'd probably be off the top of the three. Killing to, uh, n- no shows. Um that's what I phony. wanted though. No shows is number one. Oh, and, for sure. And Ph- phony work and bad finishes consistently will kill a town. So I was told, but no shows is what oh. ki- is what kill world-class more than anything in your opinion. Yes. And it doesn't help that all of a sudden when you're having this negative publicity with the arrests and the deaths and the drugs, and you've got no shows and you've got Vince McMahon taking over the world, it spells disaster for this territory. Does it not? And, and that was, that was something that when, when I got up to speed as much as a, a 20 year old, I could, when I was like, wow, it, it, because again, uh, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, just uh, th- these little stories that I used to, you know, back there prior, e- this is no emails and phone calls didn't work. I would take on the way to a town, Conrad, a yellow legal pad of, okay, this is Sparta, Tennessee. Here's the card. Here's the sponsor. Here is Hohenwald. You know, a little, I'm giving small little towns. Here's uh, Providence, Kentucky. Here's Russell Springs, Kentucky, whatever these little bitty towns, but on a yellow legal pad, I would drop that off at the printer and it would have Lawler and an opponent and Jeff Jarrett and opponent and Brickhouse Brown and opponent, whatever it may be, but it would have five, six, seven matches or four matches. And at the bottom, it would be uh plus, you know, whatever, but you didn't even substitute anything on that card. It just was, it was like taboo. Uh, and <laughs> so to have a substitution in a WCCW card and it be a Von Eric town killer, <laughs> let's talk about the approach that a lot of these territories are taking now that Vince, they see their, their ticket sales dwindling. Because as we mentioned, Bill Watts sees the writing on the wall and he's got a bunch of unpaid bills. So he's going to try to, uh, get out. Jim Ross helps him broker a deal to, uh, the Crockett's, but the Crockett's they're seeing themselves losing market share. 87 is maybe top line gross, a bigger number than 86, but the profit is just not there. Uh, so they're trying to chase this market share as much as they can and the race right now is syndication. And so the Crockett's purchased Watts hoping to get past that magic number for syndication. I forget if the number was 100 stations or what have you, but the point is 
in order to be a major player profitability wise, you needed X number of affiliates and the WWF had that. So Crockett thinks, Hey, if I get Watts, maybe I can compete. The idea is people recognize we can't just do what we've can, what we've done every other year. That is not working. And your dad flirts with that too. In early 88, it comes out that, uh, through the public records that are filed on March 25th, that he's going to be joining Steve Kern, Mike Graham, and Gordon Soley with maybe a new idea in Florida. Now this episode is not about Florida. I'm not going to get too down, down the rabbit hole, but the idea is your dad knew, Hey, if we're going to be viable and continue to achieve the profits we have in years past, we're going to have to do more. We can't just continue to do what we've been doing. We've got to try some new tricks. We've got to expand. Right. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, the, the Florida reference and, and we'll go. So my father was sort of, um, on the young end, Vince McMahon's younger than him, but other than Vince McMahon, cause Vince took it from his father. It was Vince senior. It was, uh, Jim Crockett senior. It was, uh, Eddie Graham. It was Fritz von Eric. It was Don Owen, you know, the, all, all these guys. And so my dad was on the younger side of things, but he definitely, he definitely knew I'm not sure he had the plan, but he knew we've got to some way collectively, um, the, what you just said and, and the syndication network is, uh, have one wrestling show and put it in a hundred and something markets. And I think you're right. Conrad either 80 or a hundred. It's somewhere how, in there. Yeah. You had, and that's how you could sell uh, for the people that aren't completely aware. If you had a hundred markets, you could sell, a commercial and put it all of them. And there's some value there, you know, 10 markets. There's not a lot of value, but you can make some money, serious money. And there was serious money to be made coming up off syndication. So let's pivot back and let's talk about Fritz deciding he wants to get out again. This is another quote from uh, skip Hollinsworth, the fall of the house of on Eric Fritz was selling out his financial interest in the company that promoted his and his son's careers. He had decided to make only rare public appearances. There had been reports that poor ticket sales for matches over the last couple of years had financially hurt Fritz. He had spent a lot of money trying to uphold the family image. Ken Mantell, his old business partner who had once left him in an angry split was returning to run the wrestling promotion. Quote, Fritz is an old warrior. Doris said he'd like to build the business back up himself and make his sons, the most famous wrestlers in the country. But you can't have lost as much as he has without it doing something to you. He talks about never giving up, but you know, he's worked for so long. I think he's ready to sit out on the porch and watch the sunset. So that's, what's written here. Uh, it's never been entirely clear how, or even if Ken Mantell bought into the company or what, but there's been a suggestion that Alex Simpson or, or Sammy Cohen, the father of, uh, Steve and Sean Simpson put up the money but nothing close to concrete on that. Did you ever hear how Ken Mantell got involved in world-class? And this is one of those deals that I was doing the research. I didn't know it then. I certainly don't now. And with all the conversations with Conrad and I'm saying that, you know, I'm saying the shoot interviews and all the research, I'm sort of surprised that our researcher, I mean, well, I'm not saying, saying I'm not bagging on him. Although I will no, it, it didn't come out. Why is that still a mystery? I'm sort of asking you, I wonder why that hasn't been uncovered to date on how that went about, because it really does add to this story on the opportunity that was presented 
from Kevin and Carrie to my father. I wonder what the Ken Mantell real story is. The way it's presented here, talking about Fritz for a moment. I think he just wants to go sit on the, the rocking chair on the front porch. Did you ever get that vibe from your dad? Do you remember there being a, a moment in time where your dad was always the serial entrepreneur, always positive. He's the optimist like you and I, but then eventually there had, there's a point where everybody says that's enough. Uh, do, do you remember when that was for your dad, where he was like, okay, writing's on the wall. I'm out. He's 79 and he is still rental properties. And I've got this, go- it, it, it's never going to happen ever. Now he may change, uh, uh, addictions or job changes or whatever it may be, but never was, I'm going to go sit on the front porch now. Cause he played as hard as he, uh, as he worked. Um, I'm going to take some time off and Hey, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to buy this Hatteras boat. Okay. You're going to have it shipped back here to old Hickory Lake. Oh no. I'm going to drive it back. Now, wait a minute to drive it from the East coast. You got to go down around the point of Florida all the way up the coast at Tampa. You cut across over to Mississippi essentially, and you come up the waterways. Who does that Conrad? <laughs> I mean, that's his nature. So no, he never said, I'm going to go sit on the front porch ever. And he won't remember how easy it was in your twenties. You had so much energy. You could get away with late night drive throughs You could pitch a trouser tent at a moment's notice. Well, yeah, you had plenty of testosterone and now it's time to get it back. You could get testosterone injections, but that involves that awkward doctor visit, expensive medical bills. And the worst part, once you opt for artificial testosterone, you will suppress your body's ability to naturally produce it even more. But isn't that kind of the problem in the first place? Before considering the pharmaceutical option, there are ways you can naturally raise your testosterone. But one of the easiest ways is by using the Legacy Test Stack from Legacy Sports Nutrition. Test X9 has nine key ingredients clinically proven to support natural testosterone production. And T-Assist is designed to supercharge T-boosting effects with added anti-estrogen compounds. Nick Aldis, the founder of Legacy Sports Nutrition, has been blown away by the feedback that customers have sent in after using the ultimate test stack. Guys are feeling better than ever. They're feeling stronger in the gym. They have more energy. Guys in their late 30s have reported getting morning wood for the first time in years. And one even reported becoming a father after four years of trying. No matter what you do, if you're a guy, having optimum testosterone levels is the key to looking, feeling, and performing better. So try the ultimate test stack today and they're confident you'll love the results. Just go to LegacySupps.com, that's L-E-G-A-C-Y-S-U-P-P-S.com, and use our very special promo code MYWORLD for 10% off your entire order. That's LegacySupps.com, and the promo code is MYWORLD to save 10% off your entire order. Meltzer would freestyle in early 88 in The Observer. This week's word from another inside source is that Mantell owns 50% of the company and that Kevin and Kerry own 25% each, which I guess is a compromise to the two sides I've been hearing as to who controls what. Obviously Fritz has a lot of power since they're building the promotion around him. The January 2nd show at the Sportatorium, the first ever Saturday night card with all the seats at $5 and beer was just 50 cents. Not only sold out, which is nearly 4,000 fans at the Sportatorium, but turned away another thousand and nobody could believe it. However, two days later in Fort Worth, they were back down to 350 fans. When I read that, Jeff, I just get exhausted thinking about how 
much of a rat race it is to be a promoter. I mean, there's no, really no time to celebrate and pat yourself on the back from a, a turnaway crowd of a thousand. If two days later, you're at less than a 10th of where you were. It's crazy. So as that reads and look, you know, uh, I'm gonna give our, uh, fiction slash nonfiction writer. I'm kidding, Dave. I'm going to give Dave a pat on the back because this is late eighties. Yeah. No emails. This is phone calls yeah. to disseminate information, not, not the easiest thing. And so he's reporting on the day-to-day promotions and Dallas, the sportatorium ha- had a real branding of that's the wrestling spot. Well, 22 miles down the road, uh, in Fort worth is a town that didn't get quite the prestige, didn't get quite the love, probably had maybe double the amount of no-shows from the Von Erics. And so you're dealing from, you know, that that to me, when I read that, I read it through a different lens was they had literally, and I remember walking into all this and talking to guys, oh, no, Fort Worth's dead, that we have killed that town you know, the, the Bronco Lubitsch's, the Frank Dusex, the Eric Embrys, Percy Pringle, which is Paul Bear. You know, oh, no, 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 don't Fort, Fort Worth. That is such coarse dirt. They didn't use those words, but that was uh, in, in that era that, like in this territory, Memphis was always really taken care of. It was Lawler's hometown, and Nashville was our hometown, and Louisville was a really, really profitable deal. So just sort of by the, the nature of the beast. We had a great TV station and a great time slot in Evansville, but it's a smaller market and it was like fourth in our priority. And I kind of think that, you know, we would get Austin idol to come in as an example, he would work Monday and Tuesday. I'm not going Wednesday. I got to get back to the beach. It always didn't get quite the love and Fort worth in the Metroplex area. Although it's a major market, it had, like I said, more no shows and not quite the love. And so with the business on its ass, they did the big special. Hey, and, 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 uh, I don't know what the dates were. I think you said Saturday night and I think Fort Worth was a Monday. Well, Mondays, let's get real. Uh, folks are going back to work. They burned us down there a couple of times. We're not going <laughs> a week later. Dave would write this week's ownership story is that Mantel only actually owns 30% of the company and that the company <laughs> has been restructured. And in the company contract, Mantel is the managing general partner which means he calls all the shots. All I know is Fritz has called at least one shot. And one of the shots that's going to be called according to the world-class memories website is that with TV sort of sucking hind teeth and maybe it's lackluster, maybe we should institute something we've never done before an open door policy. You see, the idea was back then, if you're going to be on TV and we're going to give you a push, et cetera, et cetera, then we need you under contract. But there's no money in that. So nobody really wants to come in and sign a contract for a dead territory, but coming and working a few shots just to have some work on your way to the next spot. Sure. So you start to get a lot new, a lot of new talent, uh, that would just do pop buys, Robert Gibson, Ron star, Kendall, William, uh, Austin idol, Pat Tanaka. They're all going to wrestle for world-class at different p- points during this period. Where are you at on a, an open door policy? I have some merit to you, this forbidden door, I guess is what it's called these days. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, so, I mean, prior, there was, there's a time when Lawler didn't have any ownership, uh, in, in the, the, the Tennessee territory. And, you know, 
he was certainly worth it. And him and my dad sat down. We're not going to draw up a talent contract. You're going to get points in the company. And as time went along, he got more and more and more because of his value. So having guys under contract back in those days, it was just such a foreign concept that, no, you come to work. You know, even my first WWF contract, all it said was, hey, we promised to 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 book you 10 times on TVs and we're going to pay you 150 bucks. Just the contractual evolution in this industry, it was essentially non-existent out there. But guys would come in, hey, I'm working Dallas, which meant I was working Dallas full time. And I think the read between the lines here was we need to get some names and we don't care if they work one show, five shows, or if they stay three months. We need talent. Because again, they were on their ass and they weren't running even consistently then. And the ones they were running consistently were big losers. Fritz is model. Again, you know, my dad gets a lot of hate on and rained on, but he, he, he always paid guys off the house. Fritz, whether his ego or however it may be, he paid guys and took it out of his pocket often. And that put him down that's where doris is saying uncle he wants to go sit on the front porch i'll translate that fritz wants to quit losing money of course he does and <laughs> now he's convinced uh mantel that hey this is your big shot your big opportunity and which is why i don't think ken probably if he bought in he probably didn't have to spend a bunch of money because candidly if you're going to buy into a business what are you going to do you're going to do a little due diligence you're going to review the books and you're going to see so if I give you a bunch of money, I get my share of this thing. I still am going to owe for, cause this is a losing effort. Exactly. Nobody, nobody pays money to sign up for new bills. Uh, but this could be an opportunity for Ken to maybe pull the nose up and salvage this Von Eric name and maybe set up Kevin and Carrie for something other than a bunch of bills and liabilities, because that's the way it was headed. Sure. Uh, uh Meltzer would frame it as. Mantel's in control of world-class, although from the reports I've heard, Kevin and Kerry each own approximately one-third of the company. Uh, from an office source, Southwest Sports, the parent company of world-class, was dissolved and a new corporation was formed with Mantel buying into the new company and apparently given the power to run the company, although Kevin and Kerry own the majority of the stock. The idea being that the boys are going to own about 70% and Mantel's going to own 30 That's where Meltzer lands on it. And he does say... Ken has done, uh, Ken Mantell has done a good job of reviving a dead promotion, but there's still a lot of major problems facing him. And those who think he has a chance of being the number two promotion in the company, even with JCP's problems are very premature. Just take this into consideration. Crockett does more business on a bad Saturday night than Mantell's company does in a week. And that tells the story, you know, even though things are down for Crockett, oof. They're so much further down for world-class and Tennessee yeah, and burn. So the, uh, the promotions start to work. And I think what they've got to do here, you heard the deal. All the tickets are $5 beers, 50 cents. They're going to run a show in Dallas on February 12th. And they're going to draw 3,800 fans with the idea being, if you buy one ticket, you get the second deal for one cent and they did the sale, the same concession deal. So if you bought a soda for regular price, you get a second one for a penny. We're trying to get creative to get fans to give us another chance. We've lost some consumer confidence where I paid $10 to see the Von Ericks and now they weren't here. And by the time it happens a second or third time, they're not paying anymore. 
unless you do some of these pricing gimmicks where it's nearly free. Now this is a dangerous game because when you start to comp an entire town or paper a town, once you've shown me, I can get it for free. I don't want to pay for it anymore. And I might not ever pay for it, but this really is a hail Mary effort just to pull the nose up on consumer confidence that, Hey, give us another shot. This is better than you remember. You know, that was then this is now, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. That, that's the only way this one penny concept or 50 cent beer concept ever works. And I mean, just to pull back and again, not to get all over this and this is anyway, in Tennessee in May, when schools got out of kids, uh, kids got out of school and incepted when they went back to, to keep our regulars engaged, Hey, let's give them a little bit of a price break. And, 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 and to keep them coming weekly because we want them 52 weeks a year. Yes. But what you're really telling the consumer is don't look at our wrestling card because we know you're not going to buy that. We know you're not buying the title match or the emotion or the love story or the betrayal or the tag team championship. We want you to come out and enjoy. And it's a lot like uh, minor league baseball because you don't control the players. Hey, come have fun and entertainment. And that works. But in a wrestling episodic nature business, it doesn't work forever, not even close. And there becomes diminishing returns. And then, like you said, the papering effect is, uh, it's, 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 it's counterproductive in so many ways. Let's talk about the, um, the big idea. One of the big ideas is we're going to bring Michael Hayes back in as a big baby face. We're going to try to do a, a concert for him on March 5th at the sportatorium. Meltzer doesn't think Terry Gordy will be there because he'll be in Japan, but they're going to come up with something. And he says with Hayes coming back, he's going to be the assistant booker to Ken Mantell. Although at times Bill Irwin and, or Eric Embry had been acting as bookers as well. Meltzer would say this, basically this area has too many wrestlers and too many bookers, uh, for its gates to support. So some house cleaning is in order. So. We're, we're, we're throwing everything at, at the wall and trying to see what sticks, right? We'll yep. use every booker. We'll use every wrestler. We've just got to do something. And then this comes out. Meltzer says in last week's issue, I noted a major story and I'll never do that again without more details. The story is that Crockett has been in heavy negotiations over the past 10 days with Ken Mantell of world-class. I've heard several reports. Some conflicting about it. <laughs> I know Crockett was going in with the idea of taking over world-class not buying into it, but a similar takeover to Florida and central States, which would give him the valuable channel 11 time slot on Saturday nights in Dallas, which is the highest rated pro wrestling show in any of the top 20 markets in the United States to complete the deal that would require the approval of Fritz von Eric, who still controls the majority interest of the world-class promotion. So if the deal were completed, Kevin and Kerry would be guaranteed a job and a push with the NWA. Although since Kevin and Kerry don't want to travel, the deal would be, they would only work shows in the area, a few TV tapings, and maybe St. Louis where they both had their father and as good draws in the past. The bottom line here is that even though Michael Hayes and Ken Mantell are probably doing the most creative and best job of booking right now of anyone in the business, their business just isn't turning around. And perhaps the economic factor, which is out of their hands may not allow the thing to turn around. I don't expect the deal to be made now, not at least until May. So Mantell and Hayes give themselves a chance to see if they can get the area going and promote a lucrative Texas stadium show on their own. So there's at least reports here 
uh, in late March that, Hey man, Crockett might buy it. Are you as a, as a young performer, you know, making towns for your dad in Memphis and, and just the Tennessee territory, are you hearing, Hey man, Crockett might buy world-class too. He just bought Watts. Were you thinking Crockett's going to be the next superpower when you hear that rumor? Or does that even make its way to your neck of the woods? So here's what's interesting that, you know, again, growing up around it, you hear, you know, there's some funny stories that Nick Gula sold his territory two, three times and, and different promoters through the years. And so when you say Jim Crockett buying it, a lot of people are like, oh, they're going to buy the promotion. What are they really buying? When like, did you really get that though? When did that click for you? What are they really in, buying? In the formative years of now, what are they like? You know, you, I, I chuckle when I hear Kevin and Kerry don't want to travel. That sounds preposterous when guys will do a live event in London and on a Thursday and come back in the States or Saudi Arabia, fly halfway around the world and, and work Thursday in Saudi Arabia and Friday in Omaha, Nebraska doing SmackDown, you know, and Kevin and Kerry didn't want to travel back in those days. But, you know, I, I know it's completely two different worlds, but it's, it's fascinating to hear Dave, uh, or, you know, write that, but no. Uh, th- th- so what is WCW? What were they buying? It was really only one thing. Channel 11 contract c- channel 11 time slot. Yep. That was what was up. And that was what Crockett's wanted. That's what everybody wanted. Um, Conrad, you're much better, uh, descriptor, <laughs> but, uh, you, God, cause you, you just quick with words. Can you explain what a superstation is? And everybody knows TBS is superstation, but but Channel Eleven was a early early superstation. It, mean, it means they had a big stick. You know, radio stations will sometimes say, "Oh, we're fifty thousand watts, or we're a hundred thousand watts, or whatever." Uh, but the bigger your quote unquote stick is, then the more coverage you've got. So, the, like Birmingham, for instance, here in Alabama, uh, just south of Huntsville, hours from Birmingham, you can still see that program. And so like the Huntsville stick, it carries over into Tennessee. So the Dallas stick, buddy, you could see that for a long way into other States. And obviously Texas in and of itself is bigger than a lot of countries. Uh, but let's put this in context where the business is the March 25th, Dallas card drew 1700 as Iceman King Parsons would beat carry to win the world title. Then they canceled Fort worth shows on March 28th and April 3rd saying they're going to return on April 10th. The new policy will be to run Fort Worth every three or four weeks instead of weekly. Now that doesn't seem like that big of a deal until you have the context of they have ran Fort Worth every week for decades. And now they're saying not only we're we not going to run it every week, we're going to come back like once a month, uh, they're cutting production costs as much as they can. And, uh, the syndicated show is really going to be just like the main show because they just can't afford to continue to throw cash at this thing to give you and some go ahead. one quick thing is talent working five days a week. Now working four days a week. It's a big deal, but they're, but, but they're paid on the houses. And, and I want to give this context here. World-class ran three shows in Mississippi in this era. $783 is the gate of one of those shows. Okay. There you go. Massive loser. Fritz went out of his pocket to pay the talent. Well, at this point, it's not Fritz. 
It's, okay. It's Mantel and I guess the other Von Eric boys. But the point is they ran a show in Mississippi with travel, with a ring, with security, with local promotion costs and advertising costs, whatever that may have been, at least posters and some radio or something. And then we've got to pay talent and everybody chops up their piece of $783. Let's go. Uh, average ticket price. Uh, I was almost going to say 10, then I went to five, but if I went to four, we're 200 people. And you've got Carrie Vaughn fucking Eric. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah. what a star. Oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, let's get to the observer in April. They say there are obviously problems here financially. They've cut way back on TV tapings. They've cut back to running Fort worth every third week. Uh, so they're continuing to cut and chisel. And it even says central States is now working with world-class as far as importing some of the talent for its big shows. And by this point, world-class or, or, or central States was really almost like leftovers from Jim Crockett. I mean, it's not. You don't have any mega stars. So yes, there's a talent trade, but it's really new faces. There's nobody who's going to be coming over. Who's like, oh, finally. So-and-so's here. Right. And it's Kansas city. To my knowledge, I think they were maybe, maybe a couple of other, other TV markets, but it wasn't that, you know, when they talk about the central States, six man tag champs, you know, and, and Crockett and them acquired it eventually. And I don't know the timeline on it, but yeah, it's, it, it wasn't anything left. Here's where we start to uh, have the rubber meet the road. The CWA talent trade with world-class a deal put together by Jerry Jarrett was, has taken over as Booker with, uh, Jerry Lawler was formally announced on TV on April 23rd with them announcing that Terry Taylor, Chris Adams, Iceman, King Parsons, Kevin and Carrie Von Eric and Terry Gordy, along with Michael Hayes and buddy Roberts would be in shortly since world-class has moved the Fort Worth shows to bi-weekly Sundays. It leaves Mondays open. To come here on occasion and the world-class guys all need more dates because the territory and the number of employees have too few dates and too many wrestlers. Thus the guys are working two to four times a week, not making any money. Several of them will start on the May 2nd card in Memphis. There was no reaction from the TV fans to the announcement of any of the names, however. So let's talk about that. When you first hear, Hey man, free birds on Eric's. I mean, you got to be chomping at the bit. This is a lot of talent that now is going to be rubbing up against Memphis. And you think, man, maybe there's an opportunity for that to be a shot in our arm, or maybe I can work with some of these guys that has to be exciting for a young performer to hear. But then when they make the announcement and it's almost crickets from the crowd, that has to make you question, oh shit, what's going to happen here. Right? Well, let me pull back a little bit on this. Number one, getting that pay slip that, um, stone cold stared at, and I told him it wasn't going to change, Yeah. When you, but I'll kid aside, you had Monday and Tuesday were our better paydays, not big paydays, but better than the rest of the week. So I, I when I heard the, the beginning discussions were, so we keep running Monday and Tuesday and we've got our TV and we've got to figure that out, 
but we could run Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because those were our spot show towns. You know, our weeklies were Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and they had markets out there. So if we can work together and sort of create a, we called it, I don't, I don't know if we called it that, but for whatever reason, it came to my mind yesterday was like somewhat of a, a, a super crew that was going to work both territories, but we would have some folks that just work Tennessee and some that just work Texas. I was really fired up. Now I don't remember the crickets in the Memphis studio and why I don't put too much credence to that is in that it's an, you know, WMC TV, that was a new studio and the ring was set up and they pulled up the elephant door, set the ring up, set three rows of literally benches, not bleachers, benches on two sides of the ring. People have seen the deal, but you had a floor director, you had a lot of moving parts. And when Lance and Dave would get up and, and have to make an announcement, we didn't have, we call it, you call it house audio. The feed was to the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the broadcast. And so you had to really be listening to, to Lance and Dave to get an announcement. And, and so I don't really particularly remember the crickets. I know that there was a really good buzz amongst all of us that, Hey, new talent coming in, our territory's down on its ass. We need help. They need help. There was a feel good, uh, sense about of it that, going to help both sides going to help both you know help both territories at this time i had no idea where my father was visualizing and, and thinking about taking uh the business what did you think of Iceman king parsons as a world champion i mean promotionally uh you know hey it gives somebody for the von erics to feud with or chase or whatever you can also put your feather in your cap about saying hey he's the first ever black world heavyweight champion if you even consider world class the ability to anoint someone that but Meltzer would say he thought that was a mistake. What say you? I Iceman had a, uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about charisma or I did that on maybe an ad free. I think the it factor, uh, I thought Iceman had an aura about him, a, a, a good dynamic performer in those days. I didn't put it in the context, whether this guy should be a champion or not champion, because I look, I didn't look at world-class as a world promotion, you know, me being in the business, I looked at that NWA belt that toured. And then all of a sudden the company champion was Hulkamaniac and, you know, Hulk Hogan and his opponents. I didn't really look at WCCW from a world champion, but I thought Iceman was a really, really good heel. He could talk, he could work and he had good promos. And he, I thought, I, I thought he had really good timing in the ring on when to give the baby face a comeback. Let's, um, let's also mention that the, the card here on May 2nd in Memphis draws $15,000 and Meltzer would say he was told there was very little reaction to the world-class guys, but something was working because this gate of $15,000 Meltzer was told is more than double what they did the week before. So there's at least some interest here. And it comes out that Ken Mantell actually sent a letter to every promotion except Crockett and McMahon offering to work with them to try to do tie in promotions, provide talent for their cards. You know, he's doing whatever he can to rent his guys out. And Meltzer's not sure that there's going to be a ton of takers on that simply because if they're just coming in for a one-off, you couldn't really do an angle and a whole feud and really draw money with it. But it, it does show that they're willing to do whatever it takes to to survive this thing, including 
you know, they're negotiating to become a part of the all-star wrestling television package. As far as the, the network ad package, they're looking for any sort of income they can get. And one of the ideas they have is Jerry Lawler working a title for title deal against Kerry Von Erich in Dallas, Memphis, and Kansas city. And that's in the observer for may. Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, he would say there was going to be a unification world title match between the AWA and world-class champs, Jerry Lawler and Kerry Von Erich. And he again says Dallas, Kansas city, and Memphis with the idea being it's title versus title at the sportatorium in June. Uh, and then in Kansas city uh, the next week, but he, he says he can't confirm a date for a Memphis match. When do you first remember hearing about Lawler Von Erich in a series of these unification matches? And did you think, Hey man, that ought to do the trick. Right during this whole time frame of Texas and Kerry was a top baby face and Lawler had, you know, since I became a fan, he was always chasing that elusive world title where there's going to be Jack Briscoe or Harley race or Nick Bockwinkle becoming world champion and all that. But then when you hear, um, you know, he's going to beat hitting and, and I always get these timelines confused, but I love the concept. I thought it was, oh, wow, unification. Because, you know, back in those days, the boxing world, WC, WBA champion, WBC champion, just all those different kind of, which I always thought was confusing, uh, all the different belts. Again, right now in WWE and, 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 and AEW, you know, there comes a point where, okay, what belt really means anything? But I thought, okay, I like the story. We're going to unify these titles I thought there was something to it. And I'm going to go back on that, that, uh, that Memphis gate number of 15,000. I can remember when it went under around 10 grand, it was like doomsday or, or long faces around the house and a $15,000 house on a weekly, again, every week you're there plowing the ground, making money and put it into context of $782 down in Mississippi, a couple hundred miles away. That is bad as things were around the country, we were still, you can either say hanging on or just the foundation that Lawler and, and my old man had built. It's fascinating to go back and, and, and look at all this now, 30 years later with, with the lenses, Conrad, that me and you have on the perspective and the different promotions, ring of honor, up and down, TNA, up and down, AEW, up and down, WWE, you know, just how, how it all rolls. Interesting. It would also be noted here that Eric Embry has taken over as Booker with Skandar Akbar as his assistant Booker. So Michael Hayes is out, but Meltzer thinks it's probably because Michael was frustrated more so than someone let him go. Um, Eric Embry, not a name we've spent a lot of time talking about. What was your experience like with Eric? So, uh, again, doing the research on this and re or reading the research, shall I say, um, I, I wish I could remember, and maybe one day we'll get a chance to ask Michael because the first time I knew something was like, okay, this is, this is more than chatter. Cause I would sit in that wrestling office and hear different phone calls and a lot of stuff it just was phone calls and never went anywhere. But Michael in Memphis having the conversations that, yeah, it's on our ass. We need help. We need to do this. We need to do that. You know, where's this going to take us? And uh, you know, Michael out as a booker, but still going to do some things as a talent, or is he finishing up? Is he going to WCW? All that kind of stuff. But Eric Embry was a guy that um, I had seen in Puerto Rico 
And, you know, Eric is originally from Kentucky, uh, but, but, you know, Puerto Rico and Texas is, is where he, I don't say mainly, but spent a lot of time. And, um, I just remember my, my, my father, the first, maybe a couple of conversations, Eric's got a business head on him. Um, I, I could just, he never came out and told me directly, but I could tell by the way my conversations with my father in regards to Eric, my dad had a lot of respect for Eric. All right, fellas, follow us here, and boy, we could all use a stiff breeze. Come on, you know the deal. This episode sponsored by Blue Chew. And guys, here's the thing. Confidence can take you far in life, but it can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to uh, step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is so simple. You sign up at BlueChew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. So if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code MYWORLD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Guys, take it from me. Blue Chew has taken the wrestling world by storm. It's a regular part of my conversation now with all of my friends and family. People are familiar with Blue Chew, and if you're looking for more confidence, man, it doesn't get any easier than BlueChew.com. Be sure to use our promo code MYWORLD. Try it for free. Just pay the $5 shipping. And, man, I've heard for years and years the ladies say something like, there's nothing sexier than confidence. Well, Blue Chew is going to give you that confidence where it counts right now at BlueChew.com. Promo code MYWORLD. Get that first shipment free. Just pay the $5 shipping. When you use the promo code MyWorld at bluechew.com. Let's keep it going here and, and keep up the uh the story in the observer. He corrects himself the next week and says, Turns out Lawler will not wrestle Kerry Von Erich after all. He's gonna wrestle Terry Taylor in Dallas and Oklahoma City. He's got a double header on the nineteenth in both San Antonio and Mesquite against Iceman King Parsons. And things really start to go bad here on the issue of uh June 20th. So the June 20th, 1988 observer quote, I'm not sure the background of this, but something must be going awry in syndication. They lost television outlets in Houston, Miami, and Minneapolis in the last week alone. Those are major markets, obviously. And now it looks like it's time to panic. The observer, the following week would report the meeting in the Dallas Fort Worth airport this past Thursday turned out to accomplish virtually nothing. Those at the meeting were Ken Mantell from world class, Barry Owen from the Northwest, Eddie, uh, Eddie Gilbert and David Woods from continental Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett from the CWA and Mike Shields representing Vern Gagne. All they agreed to do was not invade each other's territory and try to work together, but nothing concrete was ever discussed by and large. It was considered a waste of time. And then what do you know? The following week, uh, it's announced there were some plans for some co-ventures that were coming out of that meeting. Maybe they'd start some of that stuff in August, but before we can get there, 
The August 15th observer would say another major item is that Ken Mantell, who had been running world-class wrestling has walked out of the company and it's now being run by Kevin Von Erich with his mother, Doris Atkinson being a fixture in the office. I don't need to tell anyone what happened the last time Kevin was in charge. I've heard no explanation. What was led up to this since Mantell had a sizable amount of money invested in the company and business had been slowly improving since he took during the winter. The only story revolves around problems with the Von Erics. Supposedly it was part of Mantell's deal that he can't compete as wild West wrestling. So him walking out and starting up his own group and competition seems to be out of the question as well. Some also feel that Mantell may return. Although it's actually been two weeks since the blow up one week later, Fritz von Erich is back in the office of late and the company is turning into a family run operation once again. So Ken Mantell here does his best tries to put his money where his mouth is allegedly, uh, has some of the best booking around. Everyone thinks it's phenomenal, but the profit's not there. Something happens. He throws his hands up. He's out of here. Did you ever hear what happened with Ken? What was your experience with Ken? It's not a name that modern wrestling fans even hear that often, but it does feel like, man, he was the last saving grace here once upon a time. Well, it, 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 again, we get the luxury of looking back on it, but, um, this is, uh, a definitely precursor that, uh, someone's going to come in with a real business head on and they're going to begin to turn things around and Kevin is going to go, Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll take it back. You, you've got it. I, I'll take it back with no real concept on Kevin. We're still losing money and you want to come in and screw it up, but you also don't want to pay the bills, just complete delusional mindset. Um, but no, I didn't, you know, Ken Mantell was gone before I actually got out there. Um, you know, as far as day-to-day dealings or business and my dad had his dealings, but, um, yeah, uh, it, it was the, the, it was a mess in, in so many ways with the, um, again, we have the luxury of looking back on it, but what a disaster living in the moment during this time, hearing about it, like what? And Carrie and, and I mean, uh, Jerry, uh, Lawler and going to those, that, that meeting and reminiscing about all that. It was just. What a complete mess. And to, to your note on those losing those mar- markets, uh, a lot of folks, uh, you know, NBC, ABC, and CBS back in these days, this was before Fox really had branched out. So you had the big three, but you had about six channels in each market. And those six channels in each market didn't really have so much local news and all that. So they had to fill the hours and wrestling would be filled, uh, would be used, you know, syndicating these programs ar- around the country. But losing markets happened all the time because a program director would come in and just flip the switch and say, nope, wrestling off, and we'll take Andy Griffith reruns in this slot. But it ain't a good sign for your promotion, that's for sure. Oh, hell no. Um, Meltzer would say, even though Kevin Von Erich is officially the president of World Class, Frank Dusick and Skandar Akbar are basically running things. Ken Mantell appears to have disappeared off the face of the earth. And boy, he did it just in time. There's a note here that world-class has an advance of 12 tickets for a Hammond, Indiana card in early September. That's in the, uh, August 29th issue of Matt watch. So they got to show 10 days or so after this 
and the advanced ticket sales, 12, not 1200, but one more than 11, one less than 13, 12. In Hammond, Indiana, for those who aren't aware, that's a suburb of Chicago. That's a flight. That's a flight for the Vineyards. They're not driving from Dallas to Chicago. 12 tickets, a a dozen tickets. Yes. But for them to even be running shows their syndication strength or lack thereof, but still they were going to try to run a show out of the Chicago market, out of the Dallas territory. And so these are these formative years of the true transition of syndication to cable. So it almost becomes like a, a little feud with Crockett or so it seems. Steve Beverly and Matt went, Matt watch would write in recent days. The Turner organization has had conversations with global and world-class companies as possible alternatives to the current superstation weekend wrestling hours on the surface. This looks like trading Coke for you. And if you look at either of those promotions on the surface value today, that's true. But what we're dealing with here is more than just groups battling to knock Jim Crockett off the block. It's a battle for a key factor in any promotion success television time. And in this instance, time on the most watched local television station in America, world-class, the AWA and Memphis will run a joint show in the Omni on October 30th world-class has already begun promoting on its show. And on the recent pro wrestling this week shows from Dallas that a Lawler carry title match will headline the card. So it does feel a little bit like it's going to be, we're trying to make it a three horse race. We'd like for it to be Vince Crockett and really us, everybody else, right? Yeah. Uh, and of course we know that Meltzer is going to announce that December 13th is the plan super clash three. We just recently covered that. Be sure to check that in the archives, but you go ahead. It just, it just popped back in my brain. I think during this time and Anybody listening out there, I think the little small footnote is that Omni situation or whatever it may be, and I'm asking, um, and we'll figure it out, but I believe we did this like recording of Kurt Henning, and there was a bunch of us that went to Atlanta to record a song. Like, remember when Vince was doing the, the his song and dance routine, and there's all kind of gifts about it, um, and, and uh, Coco Beware and all that, but there was some kind of, anyway... The promotions, and I'll call it the the territory, the last, you know, Texas, Tennessee, and and Vern, they were trying to collaborate on a number of projects. I need to dig that up. We did a, uh, maybe that was Double J's, uh, you know, like uh, as uh, <laughs> our version of We Are the World. Oh my God, there's a there's a Midnight Rocker story that is for, for is for one of our live shows that I'll tell, but not not today. <laughs> I bet I understand, and I bet there's a hairbrush involved. Uh, on Monday, September 12th, this is directly from uh, Matt watch Steve Beverly's uh, newsletter. The TBS team is flying to Dallas with the hopes of closing the Crockett sale. Matt watch is told by three sources that a deal is being struck between Crockett and Fritz von Eric. The details are sketchy, but insiders suggest a likely scenario would parallel Crockett's Florida deal of early 87. In this case, number one, no money would be exchanged between JCP and world-class number two. Crockett would assume the television network, particularly the prize Saturday night KTVT slot. And number three, the Von Ericks and probably the Samoan SWAT team would be major world-class names retained by the NWA. Number four, JCP would promote shows in Texas in which the Von Ericks would get a percentage of the gates. 
at press time that still had no confirmation. Meanwhile, a TBS source told Matt watch that things look quote real good for a sale by September 30th. The idea here is Crockett getting the world-class TV would break up the all pro wrestling network, which would hurt Memphis, the AWA and pro wrestling this week as world-class 100 plus station lineup brings in most of their ad sales. However, Matt watch was told the syndication rights are held by an entity other than the Von Erics. And that could stand in the way of Crockett inheriting the new stations anyway. Of course, as we know, Turner wound up buying Crockett and it was a done deal. But once upon a time, it looked like, Hey man, maybe Crockett's going to do a deal here and he'll take over the TV and maybe they'll run the cotton bowl on October 15th and et cetera, et cetera. And then what do you know? That deal's going to wind up closing. Uh, I think the, uh, the consummation was in November. If I remember correctly and Crockett is no more, uh, Meltzer would say all negotiations between Crockett and Von Eric broke off this past week. Crockett was apparently looking for a deal in which he would take over world-class TV and basically take over the promotion and keep the Von Eric's and maybe one or two others while Fritz was looking for a simple talent exchange. Kerry Von Eric is now officially in charge of the company. Although the real office work would be done by Frank Dusick and Skandar Akbar with Percy Pringle doing publicity, buddy, this is it's overload. It's like hot potato with who's in power, who's in control. And I got to say, Jeff, I love me some pro wrestling, but when I hear this guy's in charge now, that guy's in charge and this guy wants in and that guy wants in, but all the while they're losing money. I just wonder why would any legitimate person want any part of this at all? Uh, great question. And I think you're pretty accurate. And I think you're actually describing that by default, Kevin became in charge by default. Uh, Carrie came in charge, a guy with a logical business head on the shoulders, like a Ken Mantell says, I'm going to run it. If I'm going to run it, I'm in control, but they, he never got the legal papers done correctly or, or whatever it was. And the minute Kevin and Carrie tried to step back in, it, it was a disaster and Ken tapped out. It was just a God almighty. Yeah. Complete mess, brother. Named one of rollingstone.com's 18 pro wrestling podcasts to follow. John Paz's two man power trip of wrestling has become a strong content provider in professional wrestling. Host John Paz has conducted some of the most in-depth interviews including the last ever interview with Dusty Rhodes, WWE lead attorney, Jerry McDivitt, Bruno Sammartino, superstar, Billy Graham, Chris Jericho, Sting, Kurt Angle, Jim Cornette, Kane, Jim Ross, Bruce Pritchard, Bischoff, Hall, Nash, Six, Arn, Tully, Jesse Ventura, George, the animal steel, Lance Von Eric, myself, and 650 other talents. Get this. It debuted in January of 2015 with co-founder Jeff Jarrett as the first guest. Host John Paz also co-host shows with Shane Douglas, Dutch Mantel, Kevin Sullivan, Dr. Tom Pritchard, and others. For more information, follow these guys on Twitter and Instagram at two man power trip. You can also become a patron at patreon.com forward slash TMPT empire for exclusive content every single week. Also check out the website, tmptempire.com and check them out on T public. It's tpublic.com forward slash stores forward slash TMPT. Be sure to visit their YouTube page as well. That's youtube.com forward slash two man power trip of wrestling 
like, listen, and subscribe five new shows a week. Check us wherever you enjoy your podcasts. That's two man power trip empire. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Your house is worth more than ever. And that represents a real opportunity for you to get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments than you ever thought possible. You see the interest you pay on your credit cards right now is probably what more than 19%. Whereas I can get you the best rate you've ever had on a mortgage right now. Now the experts say rates are going to rise next year. So take advantage of these rates while we've still got them. And the added bonus of doing it right now during the holiday season you get to skip your next two house payments. Think about that. No payments in December or January. You're done until February 1st. So your single biggest bill, you pocket that cash for two months. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Keep more of your own money and get rid of your credit card debt once and for all. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners save hundreds of dollars per month. But more importantly, they go from a 30 year loan down to just 15. I know what you're thinking. I can't afford a 15 year loan. Buddy, you can't afford not to. With rates as low as they are right now, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. And if you're in a 30-year loan, you're overpaying your single biggest bill, and you may not even realize it. Find out how much money you can save right now for free before it's too late and make this the best holiday ever. You got the best rate possible. You got rid of your credit card debt. You're saving money every month. And oh, by the way, you're getting out of debt faster with cheaper monthly payments. Find out how much money you can save right now for free and make this the best Christmas ever. Let's save with Conrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And hey, check out our reviews for yourself. See what everybody else has to say about what they experienced at SaveWithConrad.com and read our reviews at ConradReviews.com. That's C O N R A D Reviews.com. We've got tons of five-star reviews of families just like you who are saving tens of thousands of dollars at SaveWithConrad.com. But the idea, I mean, let me just repeat this. And Lord, I want everybody to understand. I respect the Von Ericks and what they did. I know I've had a lot of fun on some of my other shows making fun of the claw hold, but that's really just to piss off Super Dave or Pond Water <laughs> Dave, who was a huge, you know, totally blew you up in Tampa. Yeah, I know. Uh, everybody's been well-established now. Yes. Yeah. I've got weekend. We we got it. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he is a huge Von Eric fan. And so I give them hell on the podcast sometimes, but anybody I talk about who was coming through that territory in that era, dude, they were just bigger than life rock stars and Kerry Von Eric. If you drew a pro wrestler, you would probably draw something that looks something like Kerry Von Eric, but, uh, this sentence doesn't make any sense. Kerry Von Eric is now officially in charge of the company. What? Like this guy has a reputation for being a superior athlete dot, 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 but also an addict dot, dot, dot. And also not a great business person. He just wants to be jacked and have fun and party and be a celebrity and be a star and perform and move on, but running a business. I don't know about that. Conrad, again, I, I didn't meet them till I was 20 years old and I certainly never worked for Fritz. I, and again, we only know what we know. We certainly don't know what we don't know. And I know that sounds silly to say, but I have often thought when you look at that family dynamic that, you know, you hear tragic stories of a single mom of two, you know, Doris and Fritz 
stayed married, ran a incredibly successful business. Fritz yeah. is no dummy. So he knew how to run business and had kids that were not just average talent. I mean, David, they say were grooming to be world champion. Um, you know, they, they were all Kevin, a hell of an athlete. And this is a definitely <laughs> a prime example, just because you're athletic doesn't mean you're a good businessman, but how did that happen? How, how and I know the disease of addiction, uh, is death jails and institutions as a result, but my God, when you just go back to your line, Kevin and Carrie Von Eric at different times were running the company. Who thought that was a good idea other than Fritz? I th- I, you know, who it's knows? Just it is, yeah. Fascinating how the story all weaves through. And it happens on a weekly basis. Just one week later, uh, this would be reported in the observer. There's a lot of news on the horizon, but since I've been on the road, most of the week, it's hard to separate the rumors from the reality rumor. Jerry Jarrett has bought 30% of world-class wrestling. Fact, Jarrett has been in and out of Dallas of late and has been negotiating. Ken Mantell does own 30%. And I'm certain since he's no longer involved in the world-class business, that he's willing to sell his shares. I don't know whether this deal has been made or not. My assumption is that Jarrett would be smart enough not to buy into this group unless he controlled 51%. Thus he had the decision-making power. Most feel he's negotiating to buy 51% of the company right now. World-class has gotten out of its building problems with the city over the sportatorium. The city will overlook the problems with the building. As far as it being a fire hazard, as long as world-class agrees not to prepare any food on the premises, they have to sell prepackaged food. The city had given world-class until the end of the month to spend $40,000 on building improvements, or they would condemn the world famous sportatorium. So lots of rumor and innuendo. When did you first hear or know that your dad was going back and forth to Dallas, trying to work out some sort of deal, you know, from the Michael Hayes conversations to Lawler, you know, just locker room talk and then sitting in the office or just being at home, just hearing the different kind of conversations. But, and I don't know how many trips my dad made out there, but, but I know he would go out and do his due diligence. He didn't use those terms. That I learned it later, but he was going out to, you know, kick the tires on everything. And the consistent story that I heard my world was, oh my God, they have absolutely killed this territory with just mismanagement across the board. And they are losing money on every show, but, and then he'd go into the conversations channel 11, the ratings, it's a two hour block. You know, we come from Memphis at 90 minutes and hour around the rest of the territory. So a two hour block on Saturday nights that gets a hell of a number. And it is something that is the cornerstone of their syndication. Like the guts of the business were like none other, an opportunity that candidly, my father had never really had the opportunity to even kick the tires on. And so it was, they've run and literally Frank Dusick, uh, Eric Embry. I don't even want to name names. Literally everybody my dad talked to was, Kevin and Carrie have ran this thing in the ground and it's like, wow. And you know, the bad PR was politic or politely discussed, you know, the passing of 
David. And, and that was, you know, it was just a, a really ugly scene, but, but, um, they'd run the business in the ground, but, but the opportunity was there. It, it just a, a, a week later, Steve Beverly and Matt watch would write Jerry Jarrett has assumed control of world-class with his buyout of Ken Mantel shares. But some insiders say Jarrett is being pumped for his investment and is vulnerable to a future power play. I hope the Memphis promoter is too shrewd for that. Ken Mantell has reportedly regained use of the wild West moniker as part of his sellout and is said to be plotting a restart in both Texas and California and California. Meltzer would say the other major acquisition story of the week, besides Turner buying Crockett involves Jerry Jarrett and world-class wrestling. Once again, we've got two stories from the world-class side. And once again, I believe this to be the likely story is that Jarrett purchased a minority percentage in the 30% range of the company, but is in charge of the company and Eric Embry will be running the office for Jarrett. This is similar to the deal. Ken Mantell had and some are speculating it's the same basic premise and it will wind up with the same result that eventually the Von Eric, since they own the majority interest would be back in power. Anyway, the other version of the story is that Jarrett was hired by the Von Eriks to run the company, but for several reasons, that doesn't seem likely. Those who scoff at this story say Jarrett doesn't want people to know he's got the kind of money available that it would take to purchase 30% of world-class because he often poor mouths to the CWA boys about how bad business is and the like. In reality, one would think that with Jarrett in charge, if Jarrett puts his full interest in world-class, that he could turn the company around, given his track record as a booker has been generally on the positive side. So even with this acquisition, there's rumor and innuendo. Um, the idea that your dad is hired by anyone is laughable. Uh, you know, he, he's going to be his own man. He's going to be an entrepreneur. He's not, there's no chance he's going to go report to Carrie and Kevin Von Eric. I just don't see that happening. <laughs> um, I'm sure he probably felt some sort of kinship or whatever with Fritz, but Fritz wants out. So I don't see that as being all that likely. And of course we know that he ultimately did, uh, become a minority owner and ultimately Dave predicted it to a T it's going to wind up with the Von Eriks second verse, same as the first. But when you first hear this, oh, he doesn't want anybody to think he can afford to buy in because he's paying his guys so little that's been a knock on your dad forever. That maybe the first mistake that your dad made was when he had people over for some Christmas party or something to his new mansion. The idea being these guys are sleeping in their cars and eating raw potatoes or whatever you've heard from stone cold over the years. And then they pull up to your dad's like, I don't know, 20,000 square foot mansion. And they're like, what the fuck? This is where our money's been going. So there is something to that thinking of, well, he wouldn't want them to know, but that just reads like, man, somebody's calling and, and, up and, and, and sort of downloading Dave with the info, but boy, they got an ax to grind in the process with your dad. Do they not? And it's my dad didn't give two shits <laughs> about Dave Meltzer or any of the sheet writers. And if any talent, anybody would ever say, well, I'm not getting paid enough. My father in a minute would put out a legal pad and say, come here, we're, we're going to do this. Okay. I, I'm going to show you the formula that has kept me in business. 
And I'm going to show a formula that doesn't keep somebody in the business. So if you want to be around here, let me walk you through it and write it. I mean, give you the, you're going to get paid on what you draw. Now we're all in this together, but I, I, I don't really see the mentality of me losing to pay you. It, it, that, that just, it don't work. <laughs> the, the, the math don't work for longevity. Now you can do that for a little while, but Fritz finally tapped out on that and others tapped on that. But my dad was always adamant. You get paid off the house. It's the only business model that works in this business. So, yeah, I mean, and look, Dave and, and others, everybody used to. Now, here, here's a little catch-22 as well. When you get paid off the house, my dad many times wrote checks to pay rent, to pay talent, to pay taxes, to pay whatever. He still lost, and the guys got their minimum. So then the next week, the house may be up $1,000, and all the talent goes, well, shit, I, I'm going to get more this week because there was 300 more people in the house or 200 more people, whatever. No, 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 no. You, 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 this week, my dad just didn't lose money. Everybody broke even. You got your downside. So that whole narrative that continued to be perpetuated, I get it. It wasn't fun. And especially when Stone Cold and this, the modern transition and Taker and Dutch's famous line about. <laughs> Hell, Jerry, we ain't even on food. You ain't got to worry about us being on steroids. All those kinds of things. I get it. But at the end of the day, uh, th during this specific time, you know, my old man being asked to come out there, if 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 they weren't asking, if they were running business and making money, they wouldn't have been calling him. And that's sort of the whole craziness of this whole story. They're the ones that came looking for him. And matter of fact, my dad told him no, or I'm not interested. And as negotiations go, but no, I'm, I'm not getting into this unless y'all get into this with some of your own skin. And the fact of the matter is when the rubber met the road, they had no more skin to give. Yeah. That's that, that ha, ha, there's a lot of what ifs in this story. That's a really interesting situation. Had Crockett taken over earlier? Yeah. And, and, and Max Andrews just, and, and, and the Von Erics and Fritz just said, here, Jimmy Crockett or, or whatever, or, or Bill Watts or whatever. At the end of the day, Kevin on Von Eric wanted his cake and he just, that old saying, you know, one cake, eat it too. It, that's not, that wasn't a reality, but they really thought they could hold on to it. And they thought my dad was another sucker from Tennessee that we're just going to get some money out of him, but keep our territory. Well, it didn't get off to the best start. Uh, Dave would write <laughs> Jerry Jarrett did not show for two scheduled meetings last week to finalize his purchase of Ken Mantell shares or world-class speculation is Jarrett is leery of jumping into a situation without majority control. And a key insider tells us Fritz von Eric has now washed his hands of the group. And of course, a week later, snot thickens. A similar story to the TBS Crockett deal, but of much smaller proportions was taking place this past week in Dallas, where negotiations between Jarrett and the Von Eriks over control of world class were taking place. A deal was struck that would give Jarrett the majority interest in the company and keep Kevin and Carrie as minority stockholders. Apparently the company was deep in debt and the agreement would have required all three parties to put up operating capital to keep the business afloat, which was also agreed on. The stumbling block in the negotiations appeared to be just a formality last week, 
which was the Von Erich's late attempt to change certain aspects of the deal. Most specifically wanting a clause that would revert the controlling interest of company back to them after a specified period of time. <laughs> Jarrett balked at that clause because it would basically create another Ken Mantell situation where Jarrett would run the company temporarily, theoretically build it back up, hopefully anyway. And then if everything went right after a specified time, the Von Erics would once again, take over a healthy company. The truth is the odds at this point would have been against Jarrett even turning it around, even though he does have extensive background in running a profitable territory. Anyway, the difference wasn't resolved as of last word I've received. And the word I received is the deal. If it wasn't signed by this past Friday, that they were going to drop all negotiations without a deal. World-class is on shakier ground than ever before. At the same time, world-class's key TV time slot in the home Dallas market, the two hour Saturday night block on channel 11 is still one of the highest rated wrestling shows in any major market, but now it's in jeopardy because of the overdue bills. Channel 11 has already opened negotiations with the NWA and a switch could take place in the near future. That switch would most likely be the final nail in the world-class coffin. I want to add context to Dallas here for a moment. Once upon a time, Jim Crockett uprooted from Charlotte and he didn't go to Atlanta. He didn't stay where he had cut his teeth in, in the Carolinas. He moved to Dallas. And he did that because he was taking over Watts old spot and Watts had this big fancy lease on this big fancy office. And it was yet another set of bills, but still Dallas has been almost like ground zero for wrestling, where whether you were Bill Watts or you were Jerry Jarrett, or you were Vince McMahon, or you were Jim Crockett, you wanted Dallas. It is a major market. And this channel 11 is really the whole crux of the whole deal. And so any sort of interest that Crockett or McMahon or Jarrett had in world-class is almost secondary to, we want that two hour slot on this station, right? Correct. And you know, it goes without saying Dallas, Fort worth. It is a two market town with a super station, a brand new, enormous airport that you can get anywhere in the world. It, it had so much upside. Um, you know, we're, we're talking eighties oil money. Very, very, the economy was booming. And I learned more about that in, in years to come, but you know, Tyler to the East and Abilene out West. And just, it, it, it was Waco in the South, lots and lots of population, lots of people, lots of money, but you said it, the two hour prime time or, you know, two hour, it wasn't a Saturday morning slot. I'll say that. Saturday night slot on yeah. a super station, super, super valuable. And that's what they had. And the results of the revenue generated off that in the last prior three to five years, Texas Stadium show, you know, Fort Worth that was booming on Mondays for years and years and years and Dallas on Fridays and all the spot shows and just a very lucrative business. But it was all, you know, in modern day, as we both know, it all circled around, you know, there is no Fox deal, in my opinion, with SmackDown on network, had Raw not been an ass kicker for 20 years. Yeah, 20 for years. sure. You had it's to prove all, performance. Yeah. Yes. And so it all centered, you know, the one hour Poughkeepsie Raw shows that were done in the 90s uh, or the Manhattan Center or whatever it may be. 
those are the true foundation of the seeds that were sown way back when that Vince is reaping today. Yeah. And there's no better example of that than AEW. I mean, AEW got a television rights deal, but not for a ton of money. They demonstrated some performance and they got some more money, but still it doesn't hold a candle to the WWE Fox deal, uh, which again was all predicated to your point on decades of performance. Yeah. Well, once your dad says, Nope, I'm out on that whole temporary control. And then once it's back up and running, y'all just get it back. Meltzer would write, well, Carrie called Jarrett the next morning and agreed to Jarrett's terms. And Jarrett now owns not 30%, but 60% interest in world-class wrestling while Kevin and Carrie control 20% each. All three were to put money up to help clear up the sizable debts. The company had mainly to the sportatorium, the TV syndicators and KTV TV, which is uh, channel 11 in Dallas, Fort worth. From all accounts, Jarrett has managed to save the key channel 12 time slot, which the NWA was close to acquiring by most accounts. The deal was a necessity to keep the world-class promotion in business as the creditors were calling in the chips, so to speak. And it would have Mm -hmm. been touch and go for the company, even to participate on this December 13th pay-per-view from Chicago. I just want to add the context here. Your dad is taking over controlling interest of world-class at the same time that Ted Turner has closed on his sale with Crockett at the same time the channel 11 is saying, uh, Mr. Von Eric, if you don't pay this bill, we're going to cancel your contract and we're going to do business with Ted Turner's outfit. And oh, by the way, WrestleMania hysteria is still happening. And Vern Gagne is saying, I'll promote us a pay-per-view in Chicago called super clash three. This is all happening at the exact same time, Jeff. There's a lot of moving parts. And, and Conrad, and I don't know if this is even a good, but just to have a little fun here. Have you ever heard your parents get into a little spat and maybe Deborah, uh, is, is, is getting into a little territory that she might not is best to go down. And because I can remember my stepmom, Deborah, uh, like Jerry, why are you even doing this? You've already got more headaches than you. You've got enough here. What, what, why are you even having these conversations? Because my old man and he's dipping put back at this time. And he used to have, you know, like a chain that Lawler would carry, uh, those, but you know, those chains, uh, anyway, the collars and all that, cause my dad used to take it and he would wrap it around one finger and then spin it back the other way. And this is when he's having a conversation about stuff that he's irritated and frustrated out. He's like, can you imagine these guys? Like they don't want to put a clause in their contract that they have to make the towns. What? And okay. They want me to get it back on footing, but then they have the exercise, the right to take the company back over after. Okay. And here was the kicker. Okay, guys, I'm willing to put 60% of the money and you're going to have 20% Kevin and you're going to have 20% Carrie, but you guys aren't going to put collectively your 40% to pay these bills. That are that that your dad had no part of. He he, yes, yeah. I I don't want that. That and past due bills, old bills. Get too granular, Conrad. But the 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 picture you painted about everything happened at the same time. The craziness of the whole deal is Kevin and Carrie 
and, and company ran it in the ground. Oh man, I guess he's considered an expert in this genre of business and he's agreed to come out and he's going to come on board and they want to have all these demands against this guy, including we're not going to put a penny up. You've got to come save us. And my old man says, you're not going to put anything up. Think about the insanity. And then I'd say that and my stepmom is going, Jerry, why are you doing this? Not only they that, are- I not only do I, am, am I not putting any money up, but I can't be punished if I don't show up. <laughs> so not only am I not putting any money up, hell, I might not even show up, but I'm going to need my money. It's just crazy. I mean, it is crazy. Um, he can never get into you and, and you, and she's probably giving you good advice, but you're like, no, honey, I got this. We're, 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 we're doing this. <laughs> I won't touch that. I'm kidding. But it's just, I, 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 I had a flashback of the dynamic of them because in, in my dad's house, the office office was on the, office, but we would go over there and we would have lunch or whatever. And he would start on his rant, spinning that chain and dipping his tobacco. And she would just go, honey, why are you doing this? Hush. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> the only time Megan ever said that with me is when I told her I was going to do another podcast <laughs> and she's like, another one. How many do you have? Do you need another one? Uh, what would this be? What? Like the seventh one. And I said, yes. And she said, with who? And I said, Jeff Jarrett. And she said, he wasn't even a horseman. Oh, uh, flag. Flag on the play. Here's the best um, part of this. While we were recording today, we'll take a sidebar and then we'll come back. I got a call from Richard and, uh, and I, I emailed him cause then I said, Hey man, can't talk right now. Recording, uh, Jeff Jarrett call you after. And he replies, thank you. Who is Jeff Jarrett? Make a great choice. How about that? Thank you. Who is Jeff Jarrett? So he's taken it another step. You were not only a horseman. He's erased you from his memory. Who is, who, is who, who is this person? Richard Fleer. Oh, that you're Conrad. I'll show sunny. you the email. He says, who is well, he says, you are lying. I, I'm not. You are apps. Oh, you spliced the tape together last week. Madden did one of you guys. You're lying. I got an email you, right here. I don't look. He says, the, thank you. Who is JJ? Oh, look, w- WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks. It's like you're manipulating. Who is JJ? I mean, that's what he says. Yeah. Who, who is JJ? Oh, I, why don't you go on Wikipedia right now? I'll change it again. I'll, you know, <laughs> exactly. Y'all just want to create, you know, shout out DC three and trying to control your narrative. Just preposterous. Okay, here we go. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, just to show that Jarrett got the deal on virtually all of his own terms. There's a clause in the contract, which states that the Von Eriks can be fired as wrestlers by the booker for missing dates, or if their performance is subpar, previous bookers had been powerless to deal with the Von Eriks. Now, I don't believe for a second that Jarrett bought world-class to dump carry. Who's the most marketable wrestler in either of his two wrestling companies. One of Jarrett's first moves is to change the way the TV shows will be handled. Over the recent history of world-class, the two hour KTVT show has been taped the previous Monday in Fort worth. Although of late with Fort worth, no longer running weekly, they'll have an all highlight show on occasion. And even tapings of the Friday night cards in Dallas would be shown, would be shown eight days later. The world-class syndicated show was generally taped bi-weekly with the two shows taped at the Friday night cards at the sportatorium with an alternate Friday card, not taped. The crowds in Fort Worth have been embarrassingly low 
as small as 150 at times, which provided no heat nor atmosphere for TV and eventually caused the promotion to run Fort Worth as little as once every three weeks. About five or six weeks back, the promotion got a sponsor and announced weekly cards were back in Fort Worth. And I was told they planned to give away thousands of tickets each week that the sponsor would be taking care of expenses. And they just wanted fans in there to create heat and atmosphere, but somehow that fell through now in record time. The current plan is starting this coming weekend. The channel 11 show will be taped from 10 AM on Saturday mornings for airing that Saturday night. Admission will be free and the taping will be done from the sportatorium. They will continue to run Friday night shows with admission charged at the sportatorium. This is a real dangerous catch 22 proposition. Obviously the Saturday cards are going to be like regular TV tapings, hyping only the Friday matches to do it. Any other way would destroy paid attendance for the Friday night shows. However, a two hour format of nothing but squashes would have a negative effect on the TV ratings. And frankly, after the novelty wore off, it would be difficult to get fans to show up even for free on Saturday mornings for a television taping. Ironically, it appears Jarrett is going to run a promotion versus promotion feud as his main attraction in both of his markets with the roles reversed. Of course, someone compared this to the old days of the roller derby where the Bay bombers, pioneers, and chiefs would alternate between baby faces and heels, depending on which market they were playing in. Of course, the derby did go out of business in two years when they started that format. The first channel 11 show with Jarrett in charge saw nearly half of the show devoted to footage from Memphis where the world-class wrestlers were the heels and Mark Lawrence on commentary tried to get everyone in Tennessee from Lance Russell to Eddie Marlin to all the Memphis baby faces over to this Dallas market as heels. So this is an interesting idea and and we're actually going to sunset the conversation here in, in just a moment, because I think that that sort of tells the story of how your dad took over Memphis, but I really want to get it from your perspective here because now you can look back with the benefit of hindsight as not only the guy you were then a guy who's, you know, two years into the business, but now you've got one of the boys and a promoter and everything in between. Would you have done this deal? If you were your dad with the benefit of hindsight, now we know it didn't work out. But we know what world-class once was. We know what that channel was. As you sit right now, as Jeff here in 2021, if you were in your dad's shoes back then, you have categorized yourself as a delusional optimist. Would you have done this deal? Conrad, obviously I had the luxury of knowing the paychecks that came out of this and the heartaches and the headaches and the evolution of the industry. But in this may or may not be interpreted the right way, but when I look at the history of the Jarrett's in the industry from my grandmother starting to sell tickets, a woman in a man's world and working her way up and seeing those scratch notes that Jack Pfeffer read about her, that she was going to kill him. <laughs> so, 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 and I, I, and then my dad getting in the business and booking for, uh, Roy Welch and, and everything that went with that 
and then getting into the promotional fight and Vince, uh, Nick Goulas lying to him and not all this and him and Lawler break off and that promotional, which is a, another fascinating, but I know it goes way back in time, but to see in WrestleMania launched in 83. And so now here we are five years later, the industry has, was radically changing and Crockett, all this, it, it's like, not only would I have made the same decision hopefully the same decision, but not only do I, would I have done it, but I kind of look back with a lot of sense of pride that he took a calculated risk, stuck to his guns, wasn't a money mark. Yeah. He had the money to go out and, and bail those guys out, but he wasn't going to do it for, for, Hey, I get to go promote on channel 11. I get to be partners with the Von Ericks. He, there's a lot of things my dad is. One of them is he, he, he's not so much a mark to the wrestling business and just getting in business. So I, I, when I look at the syndication and the, it, it was a, yes, I'd have done it. And, and I, I, it's pretty cool to be a part of it. And I'll say this, I'm super grateful for the education. And we'll get into this as we move into the further episodes, the birth of USWA had this not have happened this whole opportunity and Michael Hayes getting involved and Frank Dusick and Eric Embry and the opportunity and had Fritz not have wanted to, to bail on everything and all the mismanagement and all the disaster, but all of that funk out of channel 11 and later, you know, killer Tim Brooks is running promotions and Mantel and there's Chris Adams popping up and all of this. And who knows where stone cold's career would have been had this not have happened. But I think my dad took a, pile of chicken shit and he turned it into some chicken salad you know (laughs) (laughs) i did not see you coming around a chicken salad and you know at the end Uh. (laughs) but i mean do you see where i'm coming from i mean look at what came out of this and i really think it's a real simplistic I mean, in those, and again, we tried to do it some justice. The Von Ericks were wrestling royalty in Dallas in this time. And for my dad to say, you can be fired as a wrestler if you don't make towns. Yeah. I think that's pretty good business. Let's, um, let's, let's follow up on this one piece and then, and then we'll, we'll save a little bit for next time, but. Well, I think the next episode, when you get to it, Conrad, it's really USWA is born. Oh, for sure. But I guess what I wanted to ask is this concept that Meltzer sort of freestyling as being, um, I don't know, questionable, iffy, suspect at best, maybe the idea that in Dallas, we're going to make sure that, uh, they're booing the Memphis guys. And in Memphis, we're going to make sure they're booing the Dallas guys. The WWF did that brilliantly 10 years after this with Bret Hart and Canada and America. I mean, he was the, so this is very doable and possible. And you know, all you're doing at the end of the day is you're talking about different hometowns, right? So everybody gets the hometown pop and all that jazz. I mean, that's all this is. We don't need to overthink this, but it is kind of a fun idea that your dad has of, Hey, um, and I, I just can't, I can't unwrap my head around how few people and how dead this territory was at the time. And now your dad is diving in and trying to catch up old bills and all this jazz. It has to be because a, he knows he's got to expand in order to survive. 
B Dallas is a whole nother world from Memphis. Uh, it would be a new territory. It is a superstation. It, it is a way to compete, not necessarily compete, but just stick a flag in the ground and, and say, Hey, this is mine. Uh, I get it, but I, I, I think it's a, an interesting strategy to show Memphis stuff in Dallas, as opposed to showing Memphis wrestlers coming into the sportatorium. We're going to show Memphis footage in Dallas, your dad crazy, like a Fox, because worst case scenario, if this thing goes kaput, they've already seen it. They're familiar with it. And I can get just rid myself, unask myself of these Von Erics, And I can go back to this TV guy and say, howdy folks. Right. And Conrad, one step further than that, you have to understand that business, you know, um, I don't get, get too far down this rabbit hole, but Vince McMahon, if he's not one thing, he's a visionary. He, he, he has thought so far down the tracks and I'm not saying he's always the first into the space. He always makes the space better and prepares it for the next step. My father went into WMC TV in an era where nobody got paid to be on TV. Matter of fact, Vince McMahon was running around the country saying, Hey, this territory owner, you're on barter. I'll pay you $300 a week. What? You're going to pay us $250, $300 a week for this time slot. Yep. These TV station goes, okay, that's 25 grand in our pocket that we didn't, we didn't get. So, and they got to sell the ads. So my old man went into Memphis TV years ago and said, we're the highest rated show and you're making a boatload of money off these spots. I want a little, I want a little of that change. And so why couldn't he have done that to to a two hour program in Dallas, which is also the cornerstone of the syndication. And on top of that, to put a safety valve on that, I'm going to put some Memphis content in there because I don't know where my partners are going with this. And Oh yeah, they've scorched the earth out here with their bad business and no shows. So it's another, you know, a chess piece on the table that he was thinking ahead. I know we're, uh, we're going to, we're going to pause, but I just want to give two little nuggets to sort of hook you for the next story or the next piece of the story here. And by the way, we're going to publish, uh, the notes here for the show over at adfreeshows.com. We had some phenomenal help with research on this one. This was a labor of love for our guy, uh, who I don't know that he wants us to shout him out, but greatly appreciate the support. But this is a story that's going to continue to evolve and get better. And by the way, we're only on page 15 of 77. Uh, so there's we're only a, on 15 Conrad. Yes, sir. There's a lot more meat on the bone here. Well, the, the, and we didn't even get into the, I, I think it's very applicable in today's world about branding when, when the, the, in it, I mean, I mean, just the true branding of a promotion and, um, in a lot of ways, rebuilding a brand and, um, doing a little patchwork here and there and yeah, but man, if we're only on page 15 of this research, this is good, but it's a, it, it is a fascinating story. Um, a precursor of a lot of things to come. Uh, I mean, we didn't even get into my Japan. Uh, Dave, Dave Meltzer gave me a nice compliment, but you know, there was, a, there was, a, this was, yes, very early in my career, but there were some pivotal moments of the first time that I'd left my home territory full time. I moved out to Dallas and lived out in an apartment there. We'll get into that. The Japan story, uh, 
the the Wailing Jennings bus back and forth. Stone Cold and and Chris Adams and the wives and that whole storyline, which got a lot of negative blowback. We got a lot of negative blowback, just like the Attitude Era did 10 years later. So um, Stone Cold, maybe this was his first controversial storyline, uh, just a little precursor of what to, would be becoming 10 years later as uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. So a lot two, of meat on the bone in this story. Two little notes here. For the local, this is... Uh, this is a report directly from, uh, the observer for the local tapings on Saturday. AM the pay scale is $15 for jobbers who lose no pay for the guys who go over and the wrestlers on the circuit will, uh, work $30 nightly guarantees for the bottom guys, which again shows they're operating to make a profit as a business, but now world-class is going to get a similar rep as Memphis for payoffs. Let's take it one step further. This is directly from the Matt watch program. One week later. Uh, Jerry Jarrett's early policy is that you have to work to be paid. And it's a good one. The first full week after Jarrett took over, Kevin Von Erich didn't draw a paycheck at all. I'm told that on the November 11th Dallas card, he must've gotten the message. Insiders say Kevin worked harder than he had in the last two years. Funny how the pocketbook has a way of making people perform in mysterious ways. <laughs> Oh, and to the risk, uh, to the listeners out there, Matt watch, uh, was a regional version. Uh, Conrad's a nice way to, uh, a proper way to say it, a regional version of the observer, or I don't call it a regional. I mean, they reported, but they were, they were, I think they were Jackson, Tennessee based. I don't know. But anyway, Matt watch and observer. And there were some other, that's what I'm saying. The research on this came from a number of sources. Obviously Dave was the main thread, but, uh, yeah. Oh, Kevin. Um, I remember several conversations that Embry would have with my father back in the days you put on speakerphone and, and, um, yeah, Kevin came to work at this show. Uh, that happened. And we're not done. We got a lot more meat on the bone. We're going to be back soon with more of my world. We're going to uh, wrap up the year with an ask Jeff anything. If you've got a question for Jeff, we want you to drop it to us over on Twitter at my world pod. And, uh, we'll be back after the first of the year before you know it. Uh, and, and we'll pick up some more of this, uh, USWA story, but buddy, next year is the 25th anniversary of a lot of big things in wrestling. Uh, of course, 1997 is my favorite year in wrestling. It's the 25th anniversary of 1997. Of course, we'll also get to talk about, uh, 2002. Uh, we'll talk about 2012. We'll talk about 2017 and boy, that's a story and a half. I don't know what we can legally share. Uh, but, but then we could even go back and talk a little 92. There's something for everybody. And, uh, I'm looking forward to a big 2022 with you, man, but we really get things kicked off on January of impact 2002. How about that? June right here in Huntsville. Here we go. If you're thinking what I'm thinking and I'm thinking what you're thinking, we may have something special up our sleeve on that deal. We're going to eat the red rooster at the elephant door at the Von Braun civic center. I, I'm not mad at it, but you know, I thought uh, here locally, you'd rather have some G's country kitchen. I would, I would, we'll draw straws, but listen, folks, we, uh, we've had a lot of fun here today and I can't wait for us to talk more about this whole USWA thing, but now we've got the context of how it all happened. Uh, and we've set the stage for some tremendous storytelling and maybe we'll even have some guests for parts two and three and four and five. And hmm. I, th I think we need to get your dad's take on some of this and maybe we need some USWA influence and. Uh, it's going to be a fun, uh, trip down memory lane, 2022 here. Uh, and, and we get, we get, uh, 2022 kicked off in style in St. Louis 
It's going to be Saturday, January 29th at Eric and Jeff live.com. Of course, uh, headliners are going to be uh, listed first. Anytime you're trying to market, everybody knows that. So Eric and Jeff live.com. It's a super show though. 83 weeks in my world together for the first time on stage, uh, two live mics telling stories. We can't tell here on the podcast. You might have some stories about famous dogs. You might have some stories about the midnight rockers. Uh, we've never really addressed the Dixie Carter stuff at all on this show, but we're not recording that show. You can sort of let it rip tater chip. And so can Eric, you guys can spill the beans about the, the most recent runs with WWE. And you can finally fess up that you're opening a wrestling promotion. Everybody knows that, uh, in 2022. And, uh, th- there'll be a lot of stuff you can discuss and you can ask any question you want, uh, over at the live show it's happening. January 29th in St. Louis tickets are on sale now at Eric and Jeff live.com. That's Eric and Jeff live.com VIP. By the way, you get the best seats in the house piece of swag. You can't buy anywhere else. Pictures with the guys autographed date by tens, and they'll sign any item of your choosing. By the way, the doors open for VIP at two. The show starts at three. We'll be done by five and uh, you're just 2.4 miles away from the Royal rumble. So you've got an hour and a half before the pre-show starts. And who gives a rip about the pre-show? So technically you could walk there, dude. It's going to be a fun Saturday, January 29th at Eric and Jeff live.com. Is it not? That's an Eric live.com Jeff and Eric live.com. But you know what? I was just asked on my ask anything on the ad free. Uh, and then I've been asked a couple of times I've done some media this past week. You know, I don't think me and Eric, when, when I think about like bash at the beach, yeah, him have never been in a room I mean, to have a freestyle conversation, I think that I, I think the original Dixie Carter, Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff, Jason Hervey conversation in Tampa before, uh, I mean, that was like day one that, um, I, I think there's going to be, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I think there's going to be some pretty good, unique chemistry. I think loves will be off and, um, Jeff and Eric live.com will, will be a, uh, I think I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to it as actually getting up on stage and, and that feeling of, Hey man, we got a big show coming up. It's going to happen sooner rather than later. Say you were there making an event that's happening in St. Louis, January 29th, the day of the Royal rumble. It's uh, Eric and Jeff live.com. And Hey, don't forget you get all of our shows early and ad free, including all the notes, which buddy, you want to actually thumb through these over at adfreeshows.com. But next week, man, we're, we're just going to have a little, uh, ADD. We're going to be all over the place, man. You can ask Jeff anything. We'll probably hit a hundred different topics next week. Ask your questions right now at my world pod and Jeff, uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you before then, but I hope you and all of our listeners have a very Merry Christmas. I hope all the, my world, and I appreciate all the support this year. What a year it's been, man. Seriously, what a year it's been, and I, I, uh, I love it. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas, everyone out there. Conrad, I'm not telling you Christmas right now. You've uh, brought up some slanderous texts and emails from Mr. Fleer. Richard Morgan Fleer said, who is JJ? I mean, I, I think he means, I don't think he means JJ Dillon, the leader the, the, of the four horsemen. I think oh, he means. God almighty, it's so painful at times to put up with you, but anyhow. We'll be back next week, boys and girls, right here on My World. Merry Christmas, everybody. Ho, ho, ho. 
Hey everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.